Driving that coach. 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 <laughs> and welcome to another edition of Dropping That Coast with JD and AJ. I'm JD. I think this is where I'm supposed to say I'm AJ. Yeah, you know <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, this is going to be a very special episode as we're uh, going to be looking into Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and I'm going to be doing this ridiculous impression throughout the entire show. But uh, first off, uh, thank you again for another wonderful uh, listen here, another little wonderful podcast we got here in the 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, it's been another great week, uh, another good uh, – actually, it's been a great couple of weeks of bookings. Um, yeah. I'm very proud and very happy of that. And uh, also, I uh, found out a nice little piece of news. Now, um, the show that I've been mentioning that I'm in, uh, 100 Humans on Netflix, it premieres on the 13th of uh, – uh, March coming up here, and also the music video that I'm in uh, for artist uh, Boz Low drops on March 13th. So I'm be dropping both of those on the uh, Belsiverse pages on Facebook and Instagram, and also gonna be dropping it on the Dropping That Culture page. As on, one should exactly, and I'm see if I can. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna add it to the. Uh, if we can add it to the uh, YouTube page too, if we can. I'm gonna put it everywhere. Yeah, I'm right. All right. So, like I said, it's uh, been a nice couple of weeks. And actually, right before we started this podcast tonight, I uh, just got another gig. So, uh, this is going to be really nice. Uh, I can't really say for who yet, but I'll let you guys know once I can uh, clear all that. But uh, it's been a nice, nice couple of weeks. You can't say what it's for, though, even if you can't say who, right? I, I can say what it's for. It's a music video, but I can't say for who. Well, he's on a streak right now. Exactly. So, doing my thing. People doing my thing. So. See, that's what happens when you spend a good chunk of your childhood learning how to do Thriller. Mm-hmm. It translates into the rest of your life. When yeah. you finally make the jump to go mm-hmm. acting, mm-hmm. you book all the music videos. See, you're joking. But also, no, like, no, 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 you're joking, but like, so that's what I'm about to say. It's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> that the weirdest skills that you acquired as a kid mm-hmm. and that you cultivated as an adult will help you in the acting game because they will always ask you to do some weirdo shit. Oh, hence, yeah. Hence, like, dancing in a music video or a do-do impression. Shit like that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, it helps a lot. <laughs> it's going to be one of them episodes, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and drop into our favorite segments here. Now, one of my my personal favorite, uh, Seven Degrees of Eddie Murphy, where I can connect any American film star to the great Eddie Murphy within seven films. Uh, again, it's a variation of Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon, but I like this one better. So, give me a couple names, AJ. Mark Harmon. Ooh, good choice. Thank you. Uh, actually, yeah, I got it. I got it already. Mark Harmon was in summer school with Kirstie Alley. Kirstie Alley was in. Uh, let's go. Let's go to the Kirstie Alley uh, catalog <laughs> here. Ah, got it. Kirstie Alley was in uh, "Look Who's Talking" two with Damon Wayans. Damon Wayans was in Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy. Once, <laughs> once you get to Damon, it's pretty much all done. Yeah, as soon as I was, I was like, yeah, Kirstie. I, I, I've always had a thing for Kirstie Alley. Be honest with you, still do. I still do. Yeah, she mm-hmm. she like black dudes. Man. So go ahead, hey Kirstie, hit me up. <laughs> uh, give me another one. I, I don't believe it. Have we ever done Drew Barrymore. No, we have not. Let's do Drew Barrymore. Okay, 
not that I recall. Okay, Drew Barrymore was in. Huh. Oh, okay. I'll go. I'll go this route. All right. Drew Barrymore was in Scream with Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell was in Scream Two with Jada Pinkett. Jada Pinkett was in The Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy. Helen Hunt. Wow, that's a deep cut. Yeah. How many Helen Hunt movies are there? <laughs> no, 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 no. She had. She had a moment. No, no, no I got. I, I, I think I got you though. Helen, Helen Hunt. Ah, got it. Here we go. Helen Hunt was in What Women Want. With Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson was in The Expendables 3 with Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes was in uh, Dolomite Is My Name, Eddie Murphy. All right. See, you could have gone old school with that one. How from? You know the direction I was going to go? What? Tom Hanks. Oh, yeah. Castaway, dude. Tom Hanks, Dan Aykroyd. She was his wife in fucking Castaway. That's right. right. Because you get get to Dan Aykroyd through Dragnet. That's right. Yeah, I, yeah you could have went that route. But yeah, this is the more direct one uh, I can think of anyway. But yeah, that's cool. So I, I'm, I'm used to going deep cuts. When you start <laughs> doing all this modern stuff and then a bag of Dolomite, it's still good. Yeah, yeah. But it throws me off a little because I'm, I'm used to going, going yeah. deep cuts. Yeah. All right, you know what? Let's do one more and try to do the deepest cut you can mm. think of. This will be the last one for this one. Did we ever? No, I already did that one. Mm-hmm. Come on, D. Think, D. Ah, think, man. Ah, this, I this, always come prepared with three, but now you're throwing me off. With no, this, this is this is airtime, man. Come on, I'm, 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 I'm gonna do that to you, bro. I really you are am. gonna do that to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's not a deep cut, but this would be kind of an interesting one because there's not a hell of a lot of overlap. I'm listening. Leonardo DiCaprio. Ah. Okay, got it. Stay away from growing pains. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. I, I, no, I never do TV shows. I never do TV. It's always movies. Okay. Ah, shit, right here. All right. So uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was in The Departed with Anthony Anderson. Anthony Anderson was in Life with Eddie Murphy. Shit, that's right. He's got that little. That's right. He's got that that's small. Right. He's part. the cop. He's, yeah. he's one of the cops in The Departed. That's right. Yep. <laughs> ah, shit. Oh, man, that was I would have been. I would have. I, I would have stumped you if it had been like fifteen years ago. <laughs> yeah, but now. Mm-mm. Now, now it's just the problem. Actually, with that the movie The Departed, I could get. I could get him through. Nicholson, Alec Baldwin, all of them. That's what I'm saying. Departed, unfortunately, was such a nexus. I mean, it was a great film, but, but it becomes such a nexus for talent mm-hmm. that it hooks them up to everything. Because prior to that, mm-hmm. like, you'd have been you'd have been scrolling for a minute, I think, to get there. True. All right. You probably still could, but yeah. All right. So that was dropping that. Oh, that was seven degrees eight Murphy. But now let's go to another we, favorite. We segment. need to come up with some musical kind of intro outro, a stinger for that. I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. Eh? Huh? From now on, <laughs> that is the intro outro for Seven Degrees of Eddie Murphy. Let's record that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's going to be my ringtone for you. <laughs> I know it was surprise me if you do that. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I know, I know and you if, are. And if, if I'm ever in a position where anyone from Eddie Murphy's organization might call me, that will then become the ringtone for them. Fuck yeah. Oh, it'd be great. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and knock it to another next segment. Uh, WWBS. What would Busey say? Let's do a little what? rant with the great Gary Busey. Now, what is Gary going to be ranting about this weekend? Well, as a wink and a nod to our Scooby-Doo that we're going for, which mm-hmm. we'll get into this in a little bit, yeah. uh, because it's never been completely confirmed, I would be very interested in finding out Gary Busey's thoughts about marijuana. Okay. Some of, some of the kids call it pot. Oh, here we go. 
Marijuana, my friend. <laughs> I love me some marijuana. Again. I love all the different different types and different uh, different orientations of marijuana. The one that really got me hooked on the drug itself is uh, what we call Master Yoda. <laughs> I really dug that one. It really, really expanded my mind even more so than normal. Which is, which is crazy. I mean, I was looking into the secrets of the universe whenever I use marijuana, man. Oh, my God. I love marijuana. I mean, I think it makes the world go round. Now, people are people in the government are trying to shut down marijuana. Not so much shut it down, but they're kind of trying to control it. They're trying to control it. I really don't appreciate that. Marijuana is made from the earth. Marijuana is meant here for all of us. We're all here, meant here to sit here and enjoy marijuana. Now, if I want to have some marijuana, then go out and have me some fucking Funyuns. That is my right as an American. I think that's all our rights, okay? I, I love me some marijuana. In fact, I love to go get some marijuana and watch my old movies and just kind of just say to myself, damn, who's that handsome bastard? <laughs> Who? <laughs> you know, if I was a chick and uh, 20 years younger, yeah, I fuck him. I fuck him hard. It'd be great. Ah, tiger blood. <laughs> I, I mean, it's nice to see that he's got a positive outlook on it. He seems slightly less passionate than most of the cities yeah. that we've we've visited. Yeah, but Gary likes pot. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it shows. I'm, I'm waiting to see what happens if we ever get to psychedelics. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> I, I'm almost certain, though, at this point, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if Gary's done any psychedelics mm-hmm. post-accident. I think he's just naturally, uh, what is it, uh, Joe Rogan always talks about DMT. I think he's just naturally producing DMT <laughs> at an e- extraordinary rate because he's on another planet. Is it TAC or DMT? Well, DMT is the one that, like, supposedly, I guess, your brain naturally produces as well, but it's a psych- psychedelic. Oh, THC, okay. or it's is, psychoactive, is, uh, I think is what they say. Okay. And then THC is the uh, psychoactive substance that's in marijuana. Okay, cool. All right, so. so if I remember it correct, I'm not, a, I'm not a biologist. Neither am I. So, but let's go ahead and go into uh, dropping that news. Dropping that news. All right, so it's actually another one of those damn quiet weeks in Hollywood. <laughs> uh, a couple things I did actually look up. Uh, number one is uh, they are <laughs> they're trying to produce yet another new Star Trek show. Yes, they yeah, are. And they're actually doing it with uh, uh, the cast of the Enterprise again. So they bring back the Enterprise, but with a new crew. And actually, it will be the crew right before James Kirk. Well, yeah, and if I understood it correctly, it's mm-hmm. kind of got – seems like it's kind of got a wink and a nod, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but with Captain Pike, yes. it's it's a wink and a nod back to the J.J. Abrams universe. It's even it's a, it's, a, it's a wink and a nod to the original interpretation of the show because the original pilot of Star Trek, Christopher Pike was the pilot. Well, he was the captain. Okay. Yeah, so – Because I, I, yeah. I still get a little bit confused because I'm, I'm solid new gen on. Mm-hmm. But it was so hard, especially when I was coming yeah. up, to get the old ones that yeah. I can get lost pretty easy. That's why no, I'm asking. The original, original pilot of Star Trek, Christopher Pike was the captain. Uh, he had a number one uh, played by uh, Major Bear, who would go on to become the voice of the computer and all the different interpretations of Star Trek. And also would come to play, uh, she's LaWaxana Troy. Okay. Oh, yeah, she was uh, the first number one. And then also it had Spock. 
the yeah. original, the original Leonard Nimoy as Spock was on the original pilot. He's really the only character from the original pilot to carry over to the original series. But they did a thing on Star Trek Discovery uh, within the last year or two where it had Christopher Pike's crew come and help in that the crew of that ship, the Discovery. Okay. And uh, that their guest spot became so popular. And it was ah. really, and it was really, and it was really, really good that now they're going to be spinning them off into their own show. And actually, the dude that plays uh, Christopher Pike, uh, Anson Mount, uh, he's been around. He's another one of those actors been around for a minute. Uh, the first thing I knew him on was uh, the ill-fated Inhumans thing that Marvel did. Uh, he played the leader, Black Bolt. Uh, uh, he was decent in that, but he was really, really good as Christopher Pike, and I really, I, like, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Like I said, and then uh, actually, number one was played by Rebecca Romaine. Yeah, and they had another actor whose name escapes me, but he played Spock, and he was actually kind of a, uh, sort of a story arc for Star Trek Discovery because uh, the black captain of the show and Spock are like, they're like uh, adopted brother and sister. Okay. So, uh, so basically, it's gonna be those main three: um, Pike, number one, and Spock. They're gonna be the, like the main people of this new Star Trek. They haven't decided on a name yet, but like I said, if, if they go forward with it, I'm with it because, like I said, I really like that interpretation. I mean, I've, I, look, I've always enjoyed Star Trek. I'm, I'm, I, when it comes down to it, if you get far enough out in front of it, when it mm-hmm. comes to sci-fi, mm-hmm. huge sci-fi fan. Me too. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm mean, like I said, like we've, we've had this conversation a hundred times. I grew up on Next Gen. That mm-hmm. was the one thing I could count on uh, being on my TV. And then later on, once I went to syndication, yeah. Deep Space Nine. I never really got down with Voyager as much. Yeah. I mean, I watched a little bit here and there, but. Um, yeah, I mean, anything that goes back to that, the original interpretation, because when it comes to, like, Star Trek for me, I'm going to go with the original. Yeah. It's always Captain Kirk. Yeah. And, and it was honestly, it was more movies for me than it was was the show, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I think it's going to be good, and especially with what you can do now for special effects. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be a new level. Star Trek Discovery is really great, and it's supposed to be the crew before the crew of, you know what I'm saying, like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the people before Kirk and all this shit. But, yeah, so it's so really I remember, good. It was, wasn't that one a little bit of, like, a darker interpretation of the universe, right? Or, no, Enterprise. That was the one, right? Inter- Enterprise was the one that was darker. It was, it was supposed yeah. to be the very first crew of the very first yeah, yeah, Starship yeah, yeah, yeah. Enterprise. But, yeah, this like I said, still, it's going to be dope. Yeah. It's going to be Star Trek. 100%. Yeah. Now, uh, since I briefly mentioned the uh, MCU with uh, Inhumans, there's going to be, an, uh, apparently there's another rumor going around. Uh, it pertains to the uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier show that I've been mentioning a lot on on this show. Uh, there's a storyline that I'm really excited that they, they, they might be doing. I've actually written a screenplay about this particular storyline, and I, like, I'm happy that they I mean, I'm kind of sad, and my version probably won't get out there, but I'm happy they're going this route. So hey, It might get out there. It might just take, you know, a decade or something. It might, yeah. But they reboot shit like crazy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But, yeah, there is a great storyline that came out in, like, the 2000s called Truth, Red, White, and Black, and it's basically what they mixed was... Uh, the Tuskegee experiments that really happened to black soldiers and the black people in the South, mm-hmm. uh, the syphilis trials or whatever, uh, and mixing that with the super soldier serum. Now, mm-hmm. it goes into the whole storyline where Captain America, you know, gets you know, taken out and he's disappeared for whatever. And the government is so desperate to recreate the super soldier serum that they decide to volunteer on black soldiers. Uh, most of them die, but only one survives, uh, Isaiah Bradley. Now, for my, for what I'm hearing, they're going to be incorporating that storyline into the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yes. And if they go there, again, like I said, the other storyline I was talking about where America's not ready for hmm. a black Captain America, what if there already was one 
but nobody knew about it. And I'm thinking they might retcon it so that he's a relative of Sam Wilson. Okay. That would be the natural way to go. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's like, oh, okay. So that's why he's so connected to Captain America and that kind of shit. So, like, but yeah, like, if they do go that route, and if they show a flashback of that shit, oh my God. Yeah. Dude, because it was a really good, very, it was controversial at the time, but very controversial storyline. But, like, it needs controversy. So certain shows work well with controversy, and especially this kind of storyline where it deals with race relations. I think, it, I think of the. Marvel uh, Disney Plus show so far. The one I'm very much most excited about is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Well, and, and I mean, I got to say, like, the one thing that, whether it's MCU or even the stuff they're trying desperately to get going over with DC, yeah. you've, you've got to have something to help differentiate it better yeah. because there's a glut of comic book superhero stuff right now and there's just so much content there's more content available now than ever before mm-hmm. and Wait, you know, ever before yeah yeah and so I mean like whether you're talking about kids that actually have time talking about people who work jobs and everything else like there's just there's fewer fewer and fewer hours in the day yeah. and more and more content so you gotta have some to grab their attention and so you know this is the better thing about this I mean you can pull the controversy card if you want yeah. I'm going to say it's from a lot of what we've seen from comic book stuff, it's far more original. Yeah. There's a more original take to this, something that's fresher and newer with this storyline. So it could, I really hope they do it. It could be kick ass. And uh, also, since we're talking about originality and the stuff that now, I know you've heard about the possible reboot of uh, Little Shop of Horrors, the musical. Yeah. Yeah. But one piece of news that wrote this past week was they're talking to Chris Evans about playing a part in that particular uh, reboot. And my thinking is, given his, like, his, his like, his uh, pinch off of comedy and shit like that, I think he's going to be the dentist. Yeah. The Steve Martin, uh, Oren Scrivelli, DDS, the fucking... I think mon- I still have it somewhere. I had this killer, yeah, killer the, printout. The, of the monocular Looking, looking yeah. from inside the mouth out. Oh, you yeah. had this giant print that oh. I got from this... Uh, with Steve Martin, he has the drill oh, no, and shit. I shouldn't say where I got it, but... <laughs> but, 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 but Steve Martin yeah, with, with the drill. Yeah, with the drill shit. coming in? Yeah. Yeah, so... All right, cool. So I would be cool with that. Chris Evans as the maniacal, abusive dentist. <laughs> I'm on board with that. So am I, yeah. And uh, last little bit of news. Uh, this is more like for you wrestling fans out there like myself. Uh, they just announced the latest inductees into the 2020 WWE Hall of Fame, and it will be Nikki and Brie Bella, the Bella Twins. Now, for most of this generation who don't know who the Bella Twins are, just go on fucking E. Go on the E channel. Now, fucking they're everywhere. They got two shows on there already, Total Divas for the WWE and Total Bellas. And they've become, you know, from social media superstars as a result of this show. Like, freaking more people know who the Bella Twins are than most of the fucking roster on the WWE right now. Yeah. And even people that don't know uh, about wrestling, they know who the Bella Twins are. They've definitely had a crossover more mainstream. Which, yes. I mean, it's hard. It's, I always hate saying shit like that because wrestling isn't really anything but mainstream at this point. I mean, yeah. it's not the it's not the 60s or 70s anymore. Yeah. Where it was like, because, I mean, you followed historically, it was much more a southern thing, right? So it was mm-hmm. a little more regional. Yeah. Then you have, like, Andy Kaufman, that whole thing. And then it yeah. blew up 80s and 90s when we were coming up. Yeah. So 
I mean, it's definitely been more mainstream, but definitely at this point, they have the mass appeal probably. Yeah, the, yeah, the thing with the Bella Twins, and a lot of people are going to uh, be uh, controversial about this because, in fact, they don't really consider them like superstars because they were pretty much, they had a thing called the WWE Diva Search where they pretty much just got a bunch of models and like uh, athletes and ex cheerleaders and shit and say, hey, you want to be on wrestling? You know, yeah, cool. So uh, that's pretty much how they got discovered. But to both of their credit, they actually discovered how to become really good pro wrestlers, both of them, Brie and Nikki. And uh, I think the better of the two in terms of overall wrestling would be Nikki. Uh, uh, she's the one with actually, like, and then for a long time, longest time I couldn't tell them apart, and then Nikki is the one that got breast implants. So, like, oh, oh, that's Nikki. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, she. Uh, you're yeah. like but you're she, like you're like a slightly creepier version of uh, of Steve Carell <laughs> in the office, marking the girl with with the marker on the arms. We can tell them apart. <laughs> exactly. But uh, but yeah, like I said, uh, they actually both became great wrestlers. Both were both were champions uh, during the, the time in the WWE. At one point, Nikki Bella was uh, engaged to John Cena. That broke apart. She's now actually engaged to be married to one of the dancers on. Dances, dancing with the Stars, which she did, Nikki Bella. And uh, Brie Bella also is on um, social media. She has her own channel, basically because of the fact she has a child with another WWE superstar, Daniel Bryan. Okay. And their journey was one of the highlights of the whole Total Divas run on E! And there's a big ratings boost for them. Uh, so I would say very happy for Brie and Nikki. That, like I said, that their crossover, the crossover success is very very, it's very few. It's undeniable. Very few wrestlers have and, ever reached this, this. Yeah, it's very few wrestlers have reached this level of Honestly, the, the only the only other ones you can really put that are in their category, you probably got to give it to Hulk Hogan. Yeah, because he had the same thing with reality show. Prior mm-hmm. to that, yeah. you could make some kind of an argument maybe for mm-hmm. Andre the Giant. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, I mean, look, it's not to take anything away from John Cena because John Cena's. Definitely had some crossover stuff and doing good. And then, of course, we'd be totally remiss if we didn't mention the, the most rock. successful. The Rock, yeah. Yeah, Dwayne Johnson, the yeah. most successful in the history. Oh, yeah, and Batista, Dave Batista. Batista's doing good. Batista's doing he's, great, yeah. He's not quite Dwayne's status yet, but he's, doing, but he's on his he, way. He's doing some good shit, though. And he's a killer actor. Yeah, he was, yeah. Fucking love him. Like I, I knew nothing about Guardians of the Galaxy. We've had this conversation a hundred times before. No, nobody, because, nobody did. Well, what I'm saying, because I, yeah. I just didn't know comics. Right. He fucking makes it for me in that. Yeah, he's he is killer in his, that role. He's his, hilarious. His deadpan crazy. Yeah, like, yeah. So he yeah. He's, he's great. And then he, of course he was in the uh, the Blade Runner sequel, and he's in like Hotel Artemis with uh yeah. with Jodie Foster, and he uh, he's in the, he's Inspector. Yeah, yeah fact, he's a James Bond movie. He's yeah. probably um, you know just for any of our uh, Filipino fans out there, he's probably yes. the top Filipino actor yes. in the world right now. Yes, he is. I mean, the dude is just killing it. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize yeah, Dave Bautista is Filipino, but yeah, yeah, he is the top Filipino actor in the world right now. Well, it's because you know he's he's, he's so he's, so huge. I mean, yeah. you don't. You, I mean, like normally you think like Filipino guys, people usually end up going to uh, Manny Pacquiao, right? Yeah, smaller you know, guy. The, yeah. the, the lightweight guy, but yeah. I mean that dude. He, That's a big ass Filipino. He will lay you out yes he will yes he will <laughs> but uh yeah so congratulations to the bella twins and that's sure. that basically all i got for dropping that news i got nothing i got dropping that news
All right, now let, let's go into the meat and potatoes of this particular podcast. Like I said, this podcast, this subject matter is... Yeah, <laughs> got to get our notes ready. But uh, this subject has actually been one that I've really been wanting to do a deep dive in ever since we started this podcast. This is one of the first ideas I have for us to do a deep dive on. And like I said... There's a lot to dive into. Yeah, and it's actually one of the greatest cartoon characters of all time, Scooby Dooby Doo. I'm so happy to start doing this, man. Where are you? Oh, yeah. Where are you? <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> now, we're going to go ahead first. Hey, you started out doing doing impressions. The impression, yeah. All, all, yeah. I, all I'm doing is quoting the song. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and start out with the creation and concept of Scooby-Doo. Now, initially, in 1968, uh, there were some uh, parent groups, particularly one called Action for Children's Television, that began protesting. Pro- began protesting um, companies like Hanna Barbera, who were who at the time they they felt were making cartoons with excessive violence on for Saturday mornings, like cartoons like Johnny Quest, Space Ghost, The Herculoids, Birdman, and all this shit. Now looking back on it, like really, like but that's this is generational thing. Like that's yeah. excessive to y'all. Well, I mean, but it's like anything else. Like you watch you watch mm-hmm. like a rated R. Well, what would now be rated R yeah. as a film from the sixties? You know. I mean, hell, even something like like Birdcage, or go go a little bit later, and you go to something like actually Deliverance is still terrifying. Yes, but it is. most of the films yes, that you watch from back then that had this kind of aura around them of being too violent or too scary or too this, and you watch it now, you know, as desensitized and as insane as everything is now for us in twenty twenty, you're gonna be like, this ain't shit. Really? People had a problem with us? Exactly. Right. But yeah, because of that particular parent group, they canceled most of those shows within a. I think a lot of them came in around like late 60s, like 67 to 68. Around 69, all of them were canceled. And as a result, Hanna-Barbera felt the initiative to um, start producing programs, again, that were safe for kids. Look, she's running a business. You got to make money. Yeah. Now, uh, Fred Silverman, which is a name that's going to be coming up a lot in this particular conversation, Mm -hmm. was an executive at CBS Television for daytime programming. He was looking for a show to revitalize the Saturday morning lineup. Now, the first show he picked, and that has actually become very influential Mm -hmm. on Scooby-Doo, was the Archie show, based on the comic book, Archie. You know, Jughead and Betty and Veronica and shit. So, yeah, they had a cartoon and everything. And they were basically, like, in a band, and they would have, like, teenage adventures and shit. And uh, one thing they would do on the show is they would have, like, musical numbers. And one particular song actually became a top, it basically became number one on the billboard charts, Sugar Sugar. Mm-hmm. Sugar, sugar, dun, 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 dun. Ah, honey, honey, dun, 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 dun. Wait, wait, you do one more bar, we're going to earn money. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that song, that song, people have heard that song, you know, especially of our generation. They've heard it in a, a million different things. But, yeah, that's where it came from, the Archie show. And it was a very popular show of its time. So, uh, building upon that success, Fred Silverman decided, you know, he's going to contact Hanna Barbera, William Hanna, and Joseph Barbera about creating the show about a teenage rock band. But this time, the teens will actually be solving mysteries between gigs. Now, what he wanted to do is basically he envisioned a cross between uh, the Archie show and there was apparently there was some serials back in the day called I Love a Mystery, mm-hmm. where basically they would you know go out and solve mysteries and shit like that. And uh, basically that was the initial genesis of the show. Now, while developing the show, the initial name of it was House of Mystery. Mm-hmm. Now, Joseph Barbera developed and sold most of the shows for Hannah Barbera while Hannah himself produced them. So basically, he passed the task of doing like 
the, the write-up of the show, basically creating stories of the show, to two other writers, uh, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears. Yep. Now, Ruby and Spears would eventually go on to have their own animation studio in the late late 70s, early 80s. A lot of cartoons came out of that, like Thunder the Barbarian. I think, they, I think they're the ones that did the Smurfs, Ruby Spears. Really? I believe so. No, because, well, they might have worked with them on it, but if I remember right, the Smurfs came out of, it was a Norwegian country. Was it Sweden? Yeah, but the actual cartoon itself. You mean the, the, the American Yeah. La, 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 okay. la, 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 that bullshit. <laughs> you know, the fun part about it is, I was not, I, I hate, I, I can't, sorry, I, I don't like the Smurfs. I wasn't a big fan either, to be honest. I like the Snorks. Snorks was awesome. Yeah, hey, come on, it's the Smurfs. They would, they, they would. Smurfs were getting a little bit too, they were ah, too, a little bit too weird for They me. were too happy and too. Yeah. Plus, you couldn't it tell. Seemed like everybody was on something. Plus, aside from the three of them, you couldn't tell them apart. Yeah, I mean, this Smurfette. Yeah. What is it, Smurfette? It, it just seemed like they Papa, were making it, making yeah. it easier for them to draw. Uh, Smurfette, Papa Smurf, and Brainy Smurf. Oh yeah. So uh, see, here's some of the uh, cartoons that Ruby Spears did. They did uh, the Plastic Man cartoon, which I loved. Thunder the Barbarian, which I yeah. mentioned. Uh, they did a <laughs> they did a cartoon about Rubik's Cube, Rubik the Amazing Cube, <laughs> and also they did they brought back uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, the '80s version. Oh yeah, that was a good. That one. was Ruby Spears, and they also they did the Mr. T cartoon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that Mr. Was T, da, 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 da. and my shit, the Centurions. They did that shit. Nice. Ruby Spears, but yeah, those those guys initially were just writers for Hanna Barbera. Well, and then I know you're going to get to Takamoto. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm getting right. to that. I'm getting to that. Yeah. We're going to talk about development. That, yeah. that guy had a heavy hand in this. Yes, he did. Now, the treatment of the actual show, based on the Archie show, uh, they changed it up and they changed the name from House of Mystery to Mysteries Five, and they're supposed to have five teenagers: Jeff, Mike, Kelly, Linda, Linda's brother WW, and their bongo playing dog. Too much. That was the initial name of the dog. He was too much. Yeah, that was, that, and that's a play on the saying back in the day. Man, you are too much. Like if you did something cool, you are too much, man. Too much. So here's some silly shit like that. <laughs> <It is> hell, <laughs> yeah. Man. Now, why they were doing, why they were not, you know, performing gigs as a musical band? The Mysteries Five was supposed to go out and solve mysteries, going up against ghosts and zombies and other supernatural creatures. Now. They weren't able to decide initially if they wanted uh, too much to be um, a cowardly dog, a big cowardly dog, well, or a small, all small feisty one. Well, they were they were originally looking for a sheep dog. Yes, they were. Yeah, that's what they're leaning on at first. But it would have been too similar to the Archie's dog, hot dog. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so they decided to change it up, and they made it a Great Dane. Now, which is killer for the physical comedy aspect, because if it was a little dog, like yeah. even like my little bulldog, that mm-hmm. I'm sure folks maybe heard once or twice in the background when we're doing watch along, the fucking heavy ass breathing dog, yeah, that one. Hey, Mochi's an awesome dog. <laughs> you hear that shit? That's his dog. He's excited because it's not he's, us. He's it's all about. It's you. not either one of us being excited about the movie. It's that damn dog. <laughs> Oh my God. But anyway, the physicality of a dog that size, especially with all the, the gags, the visual gags they get, mm-hmm. it just wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. You got to have something that's the same size as the rest of your characters. Now, initially, when they changed it from a sheepdog to a, a Great Dane, they were afraid that it was going to be too similar to Marmaduke, the comic strip dog. Yeah, but Marmaduke's not a Great Dane. He's, yeah, he's a Great Dane. Is he? Yes, Marmaduke is a Great Dane. Yeah, look at those drawings again. It didn't look like a great Dane to me. It was a great Dane, same in the same color thing, brown and everything. See, I always, I always thought it was a boxer. Nope. Oh, great, great Dane. Great right. Dane, yep. But his face was pushed in more. They decided, you know what? 
fuck it. Let's just go ahead and go with the great thing. Now, since you brought up Takamoto, let's go ahead and go into Takamoto since you brought him up. Yeah. Oh, you want you want yeah, me to yes, I, yes, I want I, you to do I, it. I was trying not to step on your toes. No, much. you got it. Go for it. <laughs> okay, so uh, Takamoto uh, consulted uh, with the studio colleague, um, who actually was a breeder of the Great Danes, uh, to try to kind of get an idea, make sure that he was he was heading in the right direction. And actually, um, he learned kind of the prize winning characteristics characteristics of a Great Dane um, from this colleague at the studio. Um, Broke a bunch of the rules and kind of the way they designed, uh, giving him kind of overly bowed legs, mm-hmm. um, a double chin, the slope back, and some other abnormalities. But it ultimately led to this iconic look, which actually helped with the differentiation from Marmaduke. I'm, I'm still floored on that. In my brain, I always thought Marmaduke was going to be a damn nope. boxer. Great, great day, man. Yeah. Large great day. Now, when they went for the second pass, they decided to use uh, – Another show from the early 50s and 60s, The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. Mm. That was a basis for the main the main teenagers themselves. Now, for those of you who don't know, The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis was a show where this teenage guy, he would always start out each show uh, having like internal monologue, talking to the audience, and he would always be sitting next to this giant statue of a finger. And he would be in the mm. same position. And then the camera would pan, and he would be in the same position, and that would start the episode. Now, most of the characters of Dobie Gillis were the exact templates for each of the main teenagers. Yeah. Now, Dobie Gillis himself was basically the visual reference for Fred, who was initially Jeff, but they named, and then they changed it to Ronnie, but then like kind of to really kick over the whole thing with fucking Fred Silverman. Hey, uh, Fred Silverman, uh, we got this character. I think we should call him um, Fred. Fred, huh? That's, that's a good name. Yeah, it's so funny the shit that happens behind the scenes in development hell. Yeah, so Fred from from Scooby Doo is named after the executive that literally is Scooby Doo, Fred Silverman. And you know what? That's not even remotely the most disgusting display of display of suck assery that has happened to get something made in this town. Yeah. But yeah, so they changed up basically all the different names and different characters. Now Kelly, in the initial thing, of, you know, the mystery's five pitch. Kelly became Daphne. Linda became Velma. WW became Shaggy and they got rid of there's another character named Mike they just got rid of him altogether well, you don't need Mike you got, you got yeah, Scooby you really don't yeah now uh, the teenagers themselves like I said the actual look they were based on each of the characters of Dobie Gillis now Fred look, Fred looks wise is based on Dobie Gillis himself Daphne is based on a character named Thalia Velma is based on a character named Zelda and this is the best one uh, Shaggy is based on a character named Maynard G. Cribs now for those Maynard. of you who don't for those of you who don't know Maynard G. Cribs on that show was actually like Dobie Gillis's best friend and he was supposed to be what they called back in the day a beatnik you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he did a lot of, he said a lot of like and man in his conversation, which was unusual for the 50s and 60s. So. It was what eventually morphed into hippies. Exactly. So, but yeah. They're, be- they're the grandfathers of the hippies. But they were beatniks first. So, like, hipsters now were beatniks back then. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we you, still if, have hippies, though. No, uh, more, I'm, I'm talking about more more specifically hipsters where they're kind of like, they're, they're cool. You just mean like in the way they're kind of treated in general by, by yes. the public? Yes. Because I was going to say, we still have like the exact same hippie thing with hippies today. No. But they don't have, I will give you, they don't have the same, for lack of a better term, standing in society. Yes. That the hipsters have now. So yeah, so maybe that's a way to put it. That's, that's the way I think of it. Okay, I'll, I'll go But also, that. like, of the characters, besides Freddie, uh, besides Fred, 
Maynard P. Krabs is, is, is a Shaggy's interpretation was like almost spot on. And it has this whole thing like freaking he had the shaggy hair and he had the goatee and he had, said like and man and all this conversation. He had like a little schlubby shirt. That's the thing that was always yeah. weird about yeah. his goatee is yeah. that it was it was like a, a shitty like light goatee that was like in the, the color of his facial hair <laughs> or yeah. like of his face. I mean like yeah. it was basically just like they added five or six lines at the bottom yeah. to make it look like he was scruffy even though yeah. it's like all skin color. Yeah. And another fun fact, you so know who, you know who played Maynard G. Grabs on that show? Uh well, I know we're getting into casting, but go for it. Bob Denver. <laughs> Gilligan. Gilligan yeah. from Gilligan's Island is the visual basis for Shaggy from Scooby Doo. <sighs> That's who they got it from. Fucking Gilligan. <laughs> I mean, you get rid of the hat, you give him a goatee. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's Gilligan. Shaggy is Gilligan. <laughs> it's a very similar body type to olive oil. <laughs> very similar. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah, very similar. I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> now, this revised show with adding the whole element of Dobie Gillis, they changed the name again to Who's Scared. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Who's like and two S's, the two or three S's for scared. Now they pictured the CBS. The intention was for it to be the centerpiece of the upcoming sixty-nine seventy season, but they actually well specifically for for Saturday morning because what we're really discussing is the the genesis of Saturday morning cartoons, which, as we're going to get to in a moment, Scooby Doo became the centerpiece of, and in many ways still is today. Yes true but uh the cbs uh president at the time frank stanton thought this actual the artwork that it produced for the show was too scary for viewers because it was like very straight laced and it didn't really have the comedy elements that the show would be known for so he actually passed on it again well back to development hell back to development hell again now uh they uh, silverman went back to ruby and spears and Hannah barbarian told him to kind of tone down the whole presentation and better reflect some of his comedy elements they dropped the whole element of them being a rock band altogether, which is good and they put although it yeah. never never did answer why they're just driving around in a van together not at all they just yeah, not at all but like, well, that's what we do <laughs> just like it now yeah uh and then they decided to focus more on shaggy and the dog too much i mean there was no no internet back no, then. No. So I mean, what what else are you going to do on a Saturday night in Wisconsin or something? <laughs> yeah, solve some mysteries, man. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go get something. To eat. Yeah, and solve mysteries. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then, um, as as they do this revision, uh, they decide and they want to change the name of the dog too much. Now, Fred Silverman, the legend has it that he's actually on a plane, uh, kind of dejected after the whole rejection of this storyline again, and like he's sitting there listening to music, particularly Frank Sinatra's recording of Strangers in the Night. Yep. Strangers in the Night, Exchanging Glances. I can't say no more. But yeah, that song. It wasn't bad. No, it wasn't. It was all right. Thank you. Thank you. But at the very end of the song, Frank Sinatra does a jazz scat. Yep. And the jazz scat goes, doobie doobie doo. Do, 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 do. I actually listened to it on the way. Oh, right. yeah. But yeah, Riggin, like, and that's where he got the inspiration for the name Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. From Frank Sinatra. Look, if you don't listen to Frank Sinatra when you write and you work, you're missing out. Yeah, yeah. So with all these changes, they change the name of the dog to Scooby Doo, and they change the name of the show to Scooby Doo. Where are you? And with this whole revision, then it finally got passed, and they're like, you know what? Make it. Let's do this. Green light. <laughs> 
Green light, baby. Green light. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really do that. And also, another thing they would do in terms of the core premise of Scooby-Doo is they added another uh, little series to it. Uh, there was a book series on, in England called Famous Five. And it basically the whole thing of the series is four kids and their dog. Uh, same thing. around a mystery each week where the mystery would not turn out to be the supernaturally based thing that it was supposed to be. It would turn out to be a fraud. And they would like end up uh, revealing the true villain's intent every show. Mm-hmm. So they decided to use that for Scooby-Doo. Which, I mean, as anyone who's watched Scooby-Doo knows that that's a, as much a staple as a Scooby snack. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> and now, the, mm-hmm. and the uh, mm-hmm. implied nature of why Scooby and Shaggy are always hungry. Mm-hmm. There may or may not have been some I'm illegal gonna, drug use, but gonna, that, that comes a little bit later. I'm going to get into that a little bit later. Now, now that now that they have the green lit the show, they decided to define the roles a little bit more. Fred became the leader and the determined detective. Velma became the intelligent analyst of the group. Daphne became the danger-prone damsel in distress. Uh, Shaggy and Scooby. Shaggy was Which, basically just a coward who was more vo- he, he he was more concerned about you know finding food than solving anything. Yeah, and Scooby was basically the exact same as Shaggy, except that Scooby would have momentary moments of like temporary bravery. Yeah, which were comical. And, oh, always. Yeah. yeah so. Well, and, and the other thing that was kind of interesting too is that as it developed with that first portion, it became more and more apparent that even though Scooby's with everyone, he's yeah. really Shaggy's dog. True. Right. Because yeah. yeah. you you always see because they're. And it's one of those personality things you can argue. It can also just be the way that they behave. Like, Scooby will help everybody else, but it's always about Shaggy. Where's Shaggy? If Shaggy's not right. there, that's the problem. Right, Raggy. Yeah, it's always yeah. right, Raggy. It's always right, Raggy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Which, mm-hmm. I can't wait to get into the casting side because this is interesting. <laughs> well, actually, that's what we're about to get into. Now, the very first episode of Scooby-Doo uh, aired on September 13th, 1969, and the first episode was What a Night for a Night, the night thing. Night with a K. Yeah. Now, the original cast of Scooby-Doo, uh, first off, Don Messick, mm-hmm. veteran voice actor, was the voice of Scooby-Doo. Now, Don Messick was a staple for Hanna-Barbera in, his, in their early days. Oh, yeah. He was the voice of Boo-Boo. He was the voice of uh, Benton Quest on Johnny Quest. He was Dr. Benton Quest. He was uh, the voice of uh, several different characters on several different cartoons. And he he would have a variety of voices. They would be like small and cowardly, or they would be big and like, you know what I'm saying, heroic. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, also, one thing that he did before he did Scooby-Doo, dog-related, Astro. On the Jetsons, he's the voice of oh, Astro. Oh yeah, I we, forgot about that. And you can see, you can see Astro's like speech <laughs> patterns and growling and shit, sort of like proto Scooby. Yeah, as I say, it's not, it's not that far off. And if you watch it, knowing, yeah, you'll pick up on it a lot yeah, more. Proto Scooby. And funny enough, since we're talking about the cartoons that they canceled, there was a cartoon called Moby Dick that they did. It was one of those, the the the, the one that was, the ones that was too violent. And on that, it was two kids and they would travel around with this giant uh, superhero version of Moby Dick. And they had a pet seal named Scooby, and this was like in '66. The show didn't Scooby Doo didn't come around since '69. You know, one thing I gotta say before we get too far away from it, yeah, I, I still very much love the fact that they managed to bring back Space Ghost for our generation as a talk show host. Mm-hmm. That was freaking brilliant. But that's a whole nother episode. Don Messick did a lot of voices on Space Ghost too. But now, since we talked about Don Messick, that's the first voice we talked about. The second voice, Casey Kasem. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah, radio DJ, legendary radio DJ Casey Kasem was the voice of Shaggy. 
Yeah. <laughs> that was the one I was more like going, well, first of all, unless you're a student of history, mm-hmm. you're going to be like, huh? Mm-hmm. Unless you know, your parents were crazy for him. Right. But, I mean, like, talk about a freaking staple. Like, he, he was, um, what's the old boy's name from, uh, uh, from from American Idol? Uh, Simon Cowell? No, 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 the, the host. Ryan Seacrest. Ryan, he was Ryan yeah, Seacrest right. before Ryan Seacrest was Ryan Seacrest. Yeah, he was that that that, that host. Yeah, yeah, he, the the top uh, the fucking what he did the top forty the American oh, yeah. top forty. Yeah, hey, this is Casey Kasem, you know that, that shit. <laughs> yeah. was, but he had that deep, you know, like uh, radio radio person voice, and like he's in Ghostbusters. Yeah, Casey Kasem. Yeah, and his wife is too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's another story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, now we, we, did, we could go down a million rabbit trails. We'll yeah. never get done. Now, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to uh, the two other actresses first. Uh, Nicole Jaffe was the voice of Velma. And uh, a musician named Indira Stefiana Chris, Christensen, I believe her name was, was Daphne. Mm-hmm. But the last voice and the more important voice in terms of like longevity, Frank Welker as Fred. Mm-hmm. Now, Frank Welker... Uh, Basically, was a stand-up comedian who was like he's he's so sort of like Frank Gorshin. Okay, yeah. He would do impressions and different things like that. He would be on different talk shows doing impressions and stuff. But this is what really kind of kicked his career off. And since we're talking about that, Frank Welker is still doing Fred today. Yep. Started in 1969, still doing Fred now. It's what we like to refer to in as 2020. Job security. Yes, sir. And he's been and he sounded the exact same. Throughout those years, it's like fifty years. He sounds exactly the same. Yep, which is crazy when you think about it. And I mean, some of the early shit you can, you can hear like a little higher pitched voice, but that's just a natural age. Well, but the general voice of Fred. Well, and, and the other thing too is I'm not sure. I, I don't know 100 percent sure if he was or was not uh, a smoker. But considering Hollywood in 1969, mm-hmm. the fact that this guy started doing it then, mm-hmm. whether he smoked or not. He was around so much of it for the first 25 to 30 years yeah. of his work. Uh, the fact that that didn't affect it, because I mean, you can hear like Dave Chappelle. Yeah. You see him do stand up right now. Mm-hmm. You watch his old stuff. You hear his voice now. It's got yeah. that grizzled stuff from all those years of smoking. Yeah, like he's got that that grizzly, rough smoker's voice, that gravel going on. Like the Lucia Ball shit. Yeah, exactly. But you listen to him. Mm-hmm. Fred sounds like Fred. Exactly. He sounds exactly the same. Maybe it's vocal cord scraping. Now, fun fact, the original theme song for Scooby-Doo was not the legendary Scooby-Doo-Bee-Doo, where, where are you, that we know. It was actually just an instrumental. But that instrumental can be heard in every episode of Scooby-Doo, especially the early ones. That, uh, dun, 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 dun. That's the original theme song of Scooby-Doo. You know what? After you've paid for it, yeah. use it. Yeah, so they, yeah, they, they, but it's a more fast, it's a more fast pace. That was the original theme song of Scooby Doo. I, I love it when you do the dun duns. Yeah, I know it's, it works though. It does. But the actual theme song itself uh, was actually written by David Hook and Ben Rayleigh and sung by Larry Marks for the first season. Scooby Dooby Doo, where are you? We got some work to do now. I, I love that <laughs> damn song. One. It's just one of the great TV theme songs ever. It really man. has. Yes, but uh, they actually remade the theme song for the second season with this uh, new artist named uh, Austin Roberts. It's kind of like it's kind of like having like a their own private like David Cassidy. He was like he had a teeny teeny bopper type voice and he would do a lot of bubblegum pop. So yeah, he they, he redid he redid it. And also they added a lot of uh, 
pop songs to the show in the second season where they would do like chases and they would do like a pop song while they uh while they did the chase and shit. I'm gonna get into that a little bit later. Which is still kind of a wink and a yeah. nod to the original band sequence yeah. side of things. Now as we mentioned before, Fred uh sorry, uh Ken Spears and Joe Joe Ruby are the supervisors of the stories for most of Scooby Doo and they're the ones that come up with the Scooby Doo formula. And the Scooby Doo formula, which is basically every fucking episode, goes as such. Mm-hmm. The gang is driving in the mystery machine, returning to or coming from their teen hangout, usually the malt shop. Yeah. Their van breaks down, uh, usually for whatever reason, like overheating, flat tire, which out of gas. probably the single most realistic thing about this. Yeah. The, the, is that a bunch of teenagers will be all piling into a vehicle, mm-hmm. one vehicle, and that vehicle would be so shitty it breaks down all the time and all the time and then but whenever it would break down it would usually be in the immediate vicinity of a vacated property usually a ski lodge a hotel a factory a mansion and then they would find out that a said uh, destination has a monster problem either a ghost a yeti a vampire a witch a swamp monster swamp monster (laughs) (laughs) and then the gang decides to volunteer to investigate the case now as they start uh, they usually split up let's split up gang and it's usually Fred and uh, Daphne going off somewhere Mm -hmm. and then Velma occasionally Velma would go with them but most of the time she was with Shaggy and Scooby Uh, Fred and Velma are usually the ones that find the clues Daphne ends up getting kidnapped or some shit Throughout the whole thing, which at some point you think they'd leave her home. Exactly, yeah. And they actually they have they have a nickname for her, Danger Prone Daphne because mm-hmm. it keeps happening. <laughs> and then Scooby and Shaggy are just looking for food. Yeah, they, they're looking for food. They usually end up being the ones to find the monster, and the monster usually chases them the most. At, um, well, at least first, but yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely first, yeah. Well, and then, then you, and then Velma always loses her damn glasses. My glasses, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, then eventually, they find enough clues to convince them that the monster or whatever is fake. Fred comes up with this complex ass trap to try to catch the monster, but usually ends up fucking up. Mm-hmm. And in the end, Scooby is the one that usually ends up, you know. Uh, catching the monster either through trial or error or through like I said temporary. one of those like Rube Goldberg kind of traps one of, one, yeah and then he has like that little moment of temporary braving he catches the monster and shit now they usually call the local sheriff or the police or whatever to come by and then of course the famous thing they unmask the person let's see who this really is and then it comes to find out it's like some person that they actually encountered at the beginning of the yeah. mystery these are some local or some people like oh don't go in there that, that place is haunted you know that kind of shit yeah. i wouldn't go in there without you and then that person disappears and then the rest of the story they're chasing this monster they catch the monster kind of find out it's the same dude and they're trying to like usually mo- the usual scheme is usually extortion yeah they're trying to get some money out of some shit yeah they're, they're either trying to get the property condemned so they can turn it into whatever they're going to turn it into or mm-hmm. they're trying to find some sort of way to scare people off so that they can go and mine something that was yeah. left there Whatever. Yeah, and then I'm gonna give this to you. As they're being taken away, what is the famous phrase that all the bad guys usually say as they're being led away by the cops? And I would have gotten away with it too if it hadn't been for you, meddling kids. (laughs) (laughs) They always have to say it like some like 1920s detective. It hadn't been for you, meddling kids. Yeah, and then they go off to their next adventure. (laughs) That is the Scooby Doo formula, and it's tried and true, and it works for pretty much every single episode. Yes. Every single one. Yeah. And the, the monster may change, the locale may change, the circumstances may change, but it's always that same set of beats. Without getting too far ahead, 
the single greatest improvement for Scooby-Doo across the board has been the nature and style of the animation. It all still goes back to the original from 69, mm-hmm. but because everything was CGI and all that's kind of changed the nature of how animation's done, mm-hmm. the quality has increased. Yeah. Now, since we mentioned that before, uh, Scooby-Doo was a ratings monster. It was a huge yeah. success. They actually said the, Nate, the Nelson ratings stated that as much as 65% of the Saturday morning cartoon audience were watching Scooby-Doo. That's that huge. And then, of course, it was renewed on the second season, for a second season with eight episodes. Uh, and then the uh, whole thing of uh, uh, how influential that show is, Scooby-Doo pretty much set the standard for Hanna-Barbera for the 70s. Pretty much for all the Saturday morning cartoons for the 70s. Oh, well, I mean, I think you can you can push it into at least mid-80s. Yeah, yeah. Very until, much. until you start getting into stuff mm-hmm. like Teenage yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, but yeah, but for the Scooby-Doo template was copied yeah. God knows how many times. I actually have a couple here in terms of how they would do it. So what they would do is they would have a cartoon with a group of teenage uh, detectives solving a mystery, and they usually have a pet of some kind of mascot. The first one they had was uh, Josie and the Pussycats, Mm -hmm. which was actually another one of those uh, Archie-based comic books, but they added the element of, uh, pretty much the the original thing they were trying to go for was Scooby-Doo, where they were a rock band, but between gigs, they would solve mysteries. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, so they had that. As you'd expect from, you know, Josie and the Pussycats. Then they had another one, the Funky Phantom. (laughs) <laughs> that one didn't, didn't have the same legs. Same thing. It was a group of teenagers, but their mascot was a fucking ghost from the <laughs> from the Revolutionary War, and he had a ghost cat. And then he actually the funny thing about it is the ghost sounded exactly like Sabathus. <laughs> yeah, it's it was basically like the cartoon version of that ill-fated uh, what was it Rain? I think sort of was called with Jeff Goldblum. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Where it's like. Why, why are we watching something with a ghost solving mysteries? Like, don't they have cooler stuff to do? Yeah, it's Funky Phantom time, even. <laughs> but he, yeah, but he, but he even had did the Heavens to Murgatroyd and all that yeah, shit. Yeah, Heavens to Murgatroyd. <laughs> Hello, even <laughs> Exit State. It was basically Snagglepuss. It's exactly what it was. Different. It was a ghost, but a Snagglepuss. Uh, the Amazing Chan and the Chan Clan, which is actually notable because of the fact it was the first cartoon with an exclusively Asian cast. Yeah. Yeah, and it's basically the they took the old Charlie Chan serials from like the 30s and it all incorporated to the 70s thing and it had the great detective Charlie Chan solving mysteries with him his uh, group of kids he had like like a dozen children <laughs> and they they were all together they had a little band and shit and they also had a um, they had a van that if you press a button in the van it turns into like different types of vehicles you press a button. Sort of like an inspector gadget kind of thing? Kind of thing. You press a button, it turns into a fire truck. You press another button, it turns into a helicopter. You press another button. It was really weird. But the Amazing Chan and the Chan Clan, Speed Buggy was another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, basically the same thing, group of teenagers. But uh, the, the mascot here is a talking car. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> it, it would do stuff like that. And it was Mel Blank. That was Speed Buggy. Oh, was it? Yeah. Looney I didn't realize that was Mel. Lo- Looney Tunes, Mel Blank was Speed Buggy. He's actually another one on here, too. But That's yeah. all, folks. And then his his mechanic, Tinker, looks exactly like Shaggy. <laughs> Except the fact he wears like a like a race car get-up. But yeah. it's, it's basically Shaggy. Uh, they had one called Goober and the Ghost Chasers. Basically just a blue dog and some teenagers. There really yeah. wasn't much to that one. Jabberjaw, which is a favorite of mine. <laughs> Same thing, group of teenagers, rock band, except they changed it up because like this is right after Jaws came out. 
Yeah. So they had this like underwater, like uh, it's supposed to be in the future. They had this like underwater city. The kids were like this group called the Neptunes, and they would solve mysteries. And their <laughs> mascot was a giant uh, talking shark. But the voice of the but the, the the shark acted and sounded exactly like Curly from the Three Stooges. Yeah, and it was Frank Welker. That was Jabber Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my la- the last one of what I have here, and another favorite of mine, Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels. Hmm. Another one, Mel Blanc was Captain Caveman. You know, one one yeah. thing that I'd say is probably most notable about all of these pretenders. Bunga bunga. Aside <laughs> from that, I had to throw that in there. None of them really lasted more than about a year, except for Captain Caveman made it three. Yeah. Everybody else is just like, it was a one and done. They they, they were trying. They just yeah. couldn't catch that, that I love A lot of people love, myself included, love Captain Caveman. Well, and look, in yeah, all of these, yeah, yeah. all of these ones, for the most part, you've mentioned, yeah. they actually did stand the test of time in that yeah. people still watch them today. They're still out there. They still have a life. Yeah. They just couldn't get the ratings up mm-hmm. against Scooby. And, yeah. You know, they they yeah. unfortunately had a short run. Captain you know what I'm going to blame it on mostly? What? It's before the repeal of the FinCEN rules. True. Because if this had been post-FinCEN and the, this stuff was being set up by a studio mm-hmm. or by – actually, it's television, right? So by a broadcaster. Yeah. Network, it's still – they would have they would have pushed it to the 100 episodes. They'd be like, this is good enough. We can push it across the finish line. So the original series, Scooby-Doo, where you lasted for about – two years uh, from like 69 to around like 71 then they came up with a new show for scooby the new scooby-doo movies from 72 to 73 now what was different between this show was that uh instead of one half hour episode it was a one extended hour-long episode and they also added a guest star the same show hour long and they added a guest star and the guest star was usually a celebrity or like usually they were real life world real world celebrities or they were animated figures from like Hanna-Barbera or like other uh, companies and whatnot. now this is actually the last uh, show for Scooby-Doo that aired on CBS and we'll get into that a little bit more later now some of the guest stars that they had on the show this was like dude like okay so for most of you kids out there most of these kids are not gonna know who the hell most of these people are they're gonna know who some of these guys are you gotta be at least 30 at least 30 years old to know who most of these people are they might look. They might be big Scooby fans. They could have listened to it. I'm just saying, though. Okay, so I'm, 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 I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go down some of the list of some of the people there. But I want before you go yeah. too far on the list. Who's your favorite? My favorite. Uh, my favorite episodes of that shit was the uh, the ones with Batman and Robin. Yeah, that's mine too. That's why we're doing this. Boom. That's my favorite. The ones with Batman and Robin. That, Cause they were dope. Uh, but uh, real quick, actually going back to the uh, original one, Scooby Doo, where are you? My favorite episode of that show is Jeepers, it's the Creeper. Yeah, that one was pretty. The, good. That, that's one. That's one of the few like Scooby Doo monsters that is actually carried through throughout the generations. Yeah. That like. Most, but it's because yeah. especially Velma yeah. and the way she does it. Yeah. That it's it's too good. The alliteration. Plus, I love the things they, they, the the chase song that they have in there is probably my favorite one. Like daydreaming, head in the sand. It's so weird. <laughs> I fell in love with an ostrich. <laughs> <laughs> and if you never tried it, don't deny it, my friend. Cause it's so much fun going out in the sun. Forget the rest of the world and stick your head in the sand. <laughs> it's such a weird song. Oh, but and then they get chased by this monster creep. He, he just kept saying creeper, creeper. That's all he said. <laughs> but, going, he was a yeah. but going back to the new Scooby-Doo movies, the guest stars included uh, Don Knotts uh, from the Andy Griffith show yep. and Freeze Company. Although I actually, I really did like Don Knotts as a close second for me. Yeah, yeah. But it's because I just love, I love his, 
<laughs> his weird way of talking, really. And in the sniff. <laughs> he's got the sniff. He's, he's got that kind of like, shit, how do, how do you even do it? It's sort of like, well, I don't know. What do you yeah. know there? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> like, like every, everything always sounds like he's having like oh, a, yeah, a deep the, in, internal problem. My name is Barney Fife. <laughs> The sniff. I always love the sniff on Barney Fife. Well, Andy. Yeah, just that, uh, just that ridiculous authority figure. But it's figure. that shaking, that shaking voice is yeah. part of what gets me. Yeah. His voice always sounded like he's in the middle of an earthquake. And, of course, uh, Mr. Furley in the yeah. 70s and, like, with the crazy 70s fucking outfits and shit. <laughs> uh, going back to it, uh, Jerry Reed, the snowman mm-hmm. from Smoking the Bandit. Was a guest mm-hmm. star, Cass Elliot from the Mamas and the Papas. Yep, and uh, like California Dreaming. Yeah, that that group. Uh, Jonathan Winters, uh, Sandy Duncan. Yeah, like the only thing I ever watched of Sandy Duncan's was uh, when she took over from uh, Valerie Harper on the on the, the Hogan family. Yeah, yeah, with Jason yeah, yeah. Bateman. Yeah, so uh, Tim Conway, the great Tim Conway, mm-hmm. Dick Van Dyke, <laughs> and Sonny and Cher. You also forgot Harlem Globetrotters. I was actually better get into that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cause, cause, yeah. I mean, yeah. But I'm talking about the, real, the ones, the real world people at the time. Okay, you know okay, okay. So, but Sonny and Cher. Harlem Globetrotters are real. Yeah, I've seen yeah, them. Yeah, and then uh, Cher actually did her voice. The great Cher actually did her voice on the mm-hmm. cartoon. Uh, but then, like I said, they will also have celebrities who actually died or had retired already, like the Three Stooges and Laurel and Hardy, but they were done by intem- imp- impersonators. And also, like I said, they had crossovers with... Uh, uh, Hanna Barbera cartoons. That's why I was saving the Globetrotters because the okay. Globetrotters had a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then like same thing. I think it's the same thing. Uh, first cartoon with a primarily black cast, the Harlem Globetrotters, mm-hmm. and they, same thing. They would go around the world playing basketball and solving Some mysteries. mysteries. <laughs> As you would. Or it's, it's even a little theme song. Going around the world and playing basketball. They had a dope scene song. They did. Glow Trotters. And then uh, they also had a crossover with Josie and the Pussycats, mm-hmm. uh, Speed Buggy, and another show, Genie. That was another one of those short-lived Hanna-Barbera shows, which is basically like a teenage version of I Dream of Genie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what's notable about that show... It had Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill. Oh yeah, you no, know, he's been doing voice acting for so much longer. This, than people this was realize. his first voice acting gig. Was yeah. on Genie. He was one of the kids on Genie, and uh, like I said, uh, they, they credit that in that show. Uh, and then another couple of other cartoons actually go on to have their own cartoon. It's sort of like a spinoff of this one. The Adams Family. Yep. They had an Adams Family cartoon that came out. I was worried you were going to get to that. Yeah, the Adams Family, which they had the original cast from the original show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they actually, the cartoon, Wednesday on the cartoon was voiced by Jodie Foster. Really? Yeah. So I didn't realize that. It was Jodie Foster, yep. And okay. then uh, the Batman and Robin, which we both have mentioned. Yeah. Uh, that would eventually, that interpretation of Batman and Robin would eventually spin off and become part of the Super Friends. Dude, something that I saw the other day made me just bust up laughing. It was the 90s, mm-hmm. 90s version of Batman. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alfred was talking and says, sir, why do you wear dark clothes? He goes, so people won't shoot at me. He says, well, why, why does Robin wear bright clothes? So Batman people, goes, so, so people, people won't shoot, shoot at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, they do a joke about that on Tiny Toons, Decoy, the pig hostage. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> it was basically uh, the Hampton pig character in a Robin costume, but instead, like his chest insignia is just a giant target. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Decoy the pig hostage. We could do a Tiny Toons one. We're going to do a Tiny Toons uh, one. Dude, t- there's there's a couple of cartoons, mm-hmm. not to get too far off on the weeds for half a second, but there's a few cartoons mm-hmm. 
that now as an adult, yeah. I understand number one why my parents didn't want me watching when I was young. Yeah. And number two, they're so fucking funny. It's yes. so far ahead of their time. Yeah, and then like, like oh my god, Ren and Stimpy. Oh yeah. Oh I couldn't god. figure out when I was a kid why my mom had a problem with it because I was watching it at like eight <laughs> years old. And then I was watching. Did you see that one where where Ren has the saw and he's like sawing the piece of wood that's shoved between Stimpy's butt cheeks? Yes. <laughs> it's that weird thing. My mom's like, oh, you, you shouldn't oh, be watching. That's oh, what bad. about uh, what at about, the time? Yeah. I didn't get it, but now I'm like, what oh, about yeah. what about don't whiz on the electric fence? <laughs> Where he actually fucking zips down, whips his dick out, and pisses on <laughs> pisses on a game, and they explode. Don't oh, whiz on the electric fence. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but going back to this cartoon, like I said, it had Mark Hamill and one of his first uh, first forays into voice acting. Also, uh, in terms of the uh, actual celebrities themselves, Don Knotts is the one celebrity who had the most appearances. He did like two episodes. Dude, that's a guy with a voice for cartoons. Yes, he is. And of the other cartoons, in terms of the one who appeared on there the most, the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. Yeah, so they were on them the most. Now, after this show, like I said, this is the last one that actually aired on on uh, CBS mm-hmm. because of the fact Fred Silverman left CBS. Yep, and moved to ABC. Well, and guess you, what, and guess what, what you, you took with him? What do you do when you lose mm-hmm. your benefactor? Yeah, so, you follow him. Exactly, he took Scooby Doo with him to ABC. Mm-hmm. Now about. Uh, three years after the end of the new Scooby-Doo movies, they produced, they produced a new show, the Scooby-Doo show on ABC. And that was the first of the long run of Scooby-Doo up until like 91. Yep. Yeah. Uh, now, the Scooby-Doo show is basically the same exact thing as like Scooby-Doo Where Are You just had a new name to it. The only difference was they added a new character, Scooby-Doo's cousin, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> A white Great Dane who's like supposed to be like this dumb Southerner, which I hate that shit. I'm a Southerner, and the fact that every time you put a Southerner in a cartoon or some shit, he's supposed to be dumb. Like fuck y'all, man. The Southerners are not dumb. I'm sorry. There are some. Well, there are I was some. gonna say to be fair. There are some, but a not big all. Enough group of people. But not all Southerners are dumb. I'm sorry. No, in fact, I'm gonna say most of them. Most of them are. Exactly. So it's bullshit to me. And where our viewership or our yeah. listenership just went up and. Alabama, so there you go. As it should, yeah. Now, like I said, with the Scooby-Doo show, they pretty much made it a package deal, the Scooby-Doo Dino Mutt Hour. Now, with this, they introduced a new character, also inspired by Scooby-Doo, Dino Mutt, Dog mm-hmm. Wonder. Mm-hmm. Again, voiced by Frank Walker. So he was pulling du- triple duty on, like, the, oh, he was doing double duty on the show, because he, like, he would do Scooby, you know, he did Fred, he did Donald Mutt, and he would occasionally do voices like ancillary characters. So Fred Welker was all over that thing, man. But to be fair, mm-hmm. the way the animation production process worked back then, mm-hmm. I mean, they were lucky to do more than eight episodes a season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, his days were pretty free. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't, we weren't in a situation where he's sitting there going, like, man, I just can't do another 12-hour day. It's like, even with all of those shows, yeah. I would be surprised if he was doing... 40 hours a week. Now, yeah, he's like, working on other stuff. Now, Dynamite, like I said, was a new cartoon that they wanted to introduce. They, like I said, the best way to introduce a new cartoon, put it alongside, you know, of established favorites, Scooby Doo. So, Dynamite was about uh, <laughs> this uh, cartoon canine uh, mechanical dog, robot dog. Uh, but the thing about it is, all his mechanics would always fuck up. Mm-hmm. And he had a partner, Blue Falcon. 
a real superhero. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, a Blue Falcon. That always cracks me up. Yeah, Blue Again, talk about things you learn when you're grown up. Yeah, Blue, yeah, yeah, Blue Falcon. Yeah. Yeah, he's a hey, military thing, too, Blue Falcon. Uh, but uh, Blue Falcon was actually voiced by Gary Owens, who was the voice of Space Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the thing about it was, like, they would, Blue Falcon and Dog Wonder would go out solving mysteries and shit. <laughs> Keeps laughing at every time I say Blue Falcon. <laughs> All I'm gonna say is Google it. Yeah, we go Blue Falcon, man. Yeah, but uh, but uh, yeah, they would solve mysteries and like, of course, uh, Dynamite's mechanics would fuck up whenever they're chasing a the bad guy. <laughs> and like, same thing with Scooby Doo. Dynamite will usually in- inevitably be the one that actually catches the bad guy in each episode. But they, the thing about it was, I'm just imagining like eight year old, seven year old kids running around saying, "I'm Blue Falcon." Stop. <laughs> Go for it. There's, yeah. another, there's another thing in the military about Blue Falcons. Oh, God. Uh, is the BF is a buddy fucker. <laughs> so you're, if, you, if you, like, you fuck your buddies up, yeah, you're a buddy fucker. Yeah. Blue, you're a Blue Falcon. And uh, <laughs> and they, had, they actually did a several crossovers with uh, Mystery Inc. So they did a Scooby-Doo and all those guys did a bunch of episodes. In fact, the very first episode of Donovan is a crossover between them and Scooby-Doo. Yeah. And uh, that character also comes back, a character called Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Uh, another one of those characters that comes back for uh, for that shit. Now the next cartoon after that was my one of my personal favorites because this is like used to air used to air it on USA. Mm-hmm. Scooby Doo's All Star Laugh Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was actually supposed to be a spoof of the Olympics, but more accurately, it was a spoof of Battle of the Network Stars. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and like because apparently it just aired the year before, so I think they had like Linda Carter and all this shit, you know. You know, all, just basically a bunch of female celebrities with no bras, that kind of thing. Lou Ferrigno, you know, uh, going up against, like, Tom Selleck and shit like that. That kind of thing. But they used the Hanna-Barbera characters. They used, actually, 45 characters from the Hanna-Barbera library. And they, and they encompassed three teams that would win the gold, silver, and bronze each week. The first team was the Scooby-Doobies. Mm-hmm. Now, the Scooby-Doo was basically the, all, all the cartoons that were inspired during the Scooby-Doo time, all the mystery-solving cartoons. So it had Scooby, Shaggy, they had, like, you know, uh, Scooby-Dumb, Dynamut, Blue Falcon, again, uh, Captain K-Man and the Teen Angels, Hong Kong Fooey, all those characters. Now, they actually were supposed to have, like, Genie and a couple of the other characters, like Josie and the Pussycats and shit, but they were actually owned by different companies. Yeah. So they wouldn't allow those characters to be used. Licensing. Yes, sir. Now, the next team, which is the more traditional Hanna-Barbera people... The Yogi Yahoo is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by Yogi Bear. So it's Yogi Bear, Boo Boo, uh, fucking um, ha- uh, Huckleberry Hound, Pixie and Dixie. <laughs> what is that? Wally Gator, all those characters. I think the only character uh, made past 1960 that was on the team was uh, uh, Grape Ape. You mean 19, 1970 or 1960? 1960. Oh, it's still all the old guys. Yeah, all the old ones. I mean, I love Huckleberry Hound. Yeah, I love Grape Ape. The giant purple gorilla. (laughs) Now, the last team uh, was the Really Rottens. And they're basically comprised of all bad guys. Now, most of these bad guys were original characters created just for this show. A couple of them appeared on a couple of other cartoons. Like, there's a couple of them that were, like, on uh, Quick Draw McGraw. I think there's one on the Flintstones or whatever. But the leaders of the team were uh, was supposed to be initially Dick Dastardly and Muttley. Mm. However, due to, due again to licensing, they could not get Dick Dastardly and Mudley, so they created two characters of basically the same Rip thing. Off. Yeah, Mumbly and the Dread Baron. Yeah. So it's the same shit though. Same look, 
and the same thing. The, 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 the sound of the sun. The, 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 the dog. Yeah. The monthly laugh, man. But yeah, I always loved it because like uh, you watch the different cartoons and shit. Like usually the winners were always the Scooby Doobies and the Yogi Yahooies. But every once in a while, the the really rotten's will win one. Yep. Usually do cheating. But they will win. Well, you 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 got to do that to keep some kind of suspense. I mean, look, even if you're doing content for kids, mm-hmm. let's be honest, that's especially what this was. This is way before anyone thought about doing yeah. cartoons for adults. Mm-hmm. Kids are smart. They're going to get it, and they're going to get bored if every time mm-hmm. it's the exact same thing. It has to have a little bit of variety. All right. Now, the next interpretation of Scooby-Doo might be the jump in the shark moment for Scooby well it, it could be interpreted as that in some way um, but in order for it to be a true jumping of the shark it had to end it yeah exactly and this is something we're going to get to it's still in production today mm-hmm. I mean I was saving this for a little bit later but I'm going to throw it out there right now go for it uh, I love the Simpsons I think the Simpsons have had some really great moments but they can eat their heart out they have nothing approaching Scooby-Doo when it comes to longevity nope no, they do I not. Mean, my God. Yes, nineteen sixty-nine. We're, we're fifty-one years now. Fifty-one years, still on the air. Rocking and rolling. Rocking and rolling. Now, the, like I said, the next interpretation: Scooby Doo and Scrappy Doo. I love Scrappy. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, during this time frame, uh, they felt that the Scooby Doo formula was kind of becoming a parody of itself because of it was so predictable and shit, yeah. and ratings were starting to decline. So. Um, they, you know, and then of course Fred Silverman, who was like the big backer of Scooby Doo, actually left ABC and went to NBC. So they, they're kind of like we had, we had to do the deal th- they made. Couldn't really just jump off. Yeah, exactly. So because they already knew what they were thinking, like no, you're not just following Fred around everywhere. So we got to do a major overhaul here. So we decided to add a new character, Scooby's little nephew, Scrappy Doo. Now Scrappy Doo was like small and feisty, like I said, like one of the original. In interpretation of what they thought Scooby-Doo would be. But yeah, he's small and feisty, always ready for a fight, and he looked up to his cousin, his uncle Scooby. He was yeah. like an aggressive boo-boo. Yeah, yeah, very aggressive. Like, let me at him, let me at him. <laughs> <laughs> but he always thought Scooby was his big hero, but Scooby would always prove himself to be a complete coward. Yeah. But again, he would still have those moments of temporary bravery. He, and he, was, almost yeah. a, he was almost like a Mr. Magoo in mm-hmm. how that, like, he would be slightly brave, but even if he wasn't being brave, it was like he accidentally was brave all the time. Yeah. Dude. He just happened to fall into moments of a, of appearing brave. But but the biggest change to the actual layout of Scooby-Doo was because of the additional Scrappy-Doo, Fred, Daphne, and Velma became less essential to the plot. Yeah. And therefore, Scooby, Shaggy, and Scrappy started becoming the main focus to the point where actually— It those, was Scrappy and Scooby for yeah, the most part. Yeah, for the, for the most part, those three characters, Fred, Daphne, and Velma— started to be phased out yep completely almost yeah and then after that they started repackaging the same show again scooby-doo and scrappy-doo but they added different characters now the first repackaging was the scooby-doo scrappy-doo richie rich show so they oh yeah that's right so the same thing they had the scooby-doo and scrappy-doo show is the exact same show except they added a new show again to in- introduce a new character want to introduce a new character put it with a staple Scooby-Doo in this case Richie Rich mm-hmm. another one of those damn uh, no, no this is done by Harvey Comics uh, same people that make uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch and yeah. Casper uh, so uh, no 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 no. I take that back Sabrina the Teenage Witch was made by Archie um, Casper uh, was it 
hot stuff, the little devil guy, and there's like a little oh, witch. Oh, right, right. And there's right, a little right, witch. Right. And they were made by Harvey Comics. Richie Rich was one of them, too. Um, but Richie Rich got his own cartoon. He would have his different little adventures and shit. I used to like the Richie Rich show as a kid. Everybody did, man. You get yeah. to imagine being rich. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then, actually, funny enough, on the Richie Rich show, first acting gig, uh, voice acting gig for... Nancy Cartwright, since we talked about The Simpsons. Yeah. Bart Simpson. She was uh, he, she was his girlfriend, uh, Gloria. Yeah, well, the, the funny thing, too, if you think about it, because I'm looking at the timing as well, mm-hmm. it was kind of like the kids' version of Heart to Heart. Yeah. It's basically what it was, because it's like some rich person's got enough money, they just solve crimes and stuff for fun. I got nothing else to do. Yeah. yeah it's like, well, oh, I'm set for life. Well, yeah. why don't I go and insert myself into these people's lives? But yeah, this is a, another one of those hour-long shows where the first half would be Scooby-Doo, the second half would be Richie Rich. So, And this is actually the only time that Scooby-Doo actually got second billing after a character. It was yeah. the Richie Rich Scooby-Doo show. So uh, Then they repackaged Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo again. This time, they actually brought back Daphne. Mm-hmm. And then they reestablished, they kept this central plot of Scooby-Doo, but they reestablished that Scooby, Daphne, Shaggy, and Scrappy-Doo were uh, reporters for a team magazine. Well, this is what I think sometimes they refer to as a Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo shorts phase. Yeah. Because they're doing all of this crossover side of stuff. And, and I think probably the other thing that's important to remember right mm-hmm. now is this is early 1980s, like 1982. Yes. So, again, looking at the totality of something like a children's cartoon, because mm-hmm. that's what it essentially was. Yeah. You can still argue, in a lot of ways, still is. Mm-hmm. 1969 when it started. Yeah. So you had 11 years before it started to get to a point where they were going, okay, we need to come up with something. Yeah. But for an uh, ex- extensive little period there, it was basically just the Scooby-Doo, Scrappy-Doo show. Yeah. Now they repackaged it once again in 84 as the new Scooby-Doo Mysteries. Same format as uh, Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo, uh, but they actually brought back Fred and Velma for like a couple like little crossovers and stuff. Yeah. And they actually established Fred's last name. Uh, Fred's last name is Jones and Shaggy's last name. They actually established Shaggy's real name. Shaggy's real name is Norville Rogers. <laughs> Norville. <laughs> I like Maynard. I, no, the, the one thing I do like about this particular cartoon, the new Scooby-Doo Mysteries, is that they had the, this, the intro. Because the intro is like very fucking 80s synthesizer. Yeah. It's right after Thriller came out. So <laughs> what? Right, yeah. So so the like the actual like they basically did a theme song like Thriller and there's like monsters in the uh, intro doing the Thriller dance. Yeah. So I like this one, man. I really do. No, oh, it's pop culture as hell. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, now this next one, this was actually kind of a crossroads for Scooby Doo, but it was actually a really good cartoon to me. The Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo mm-hmm. only ran for thirteen episodes in 1985, and I like the beginning. This is a warning to all living mortals that whosoever opens this chest of demons will release 13 of the most terrifying ghosts upon the face of the earth. <laughs> I, I love that intro, man. No, it's man. killer, man. Yeah. Now, in this particular cartoon, uh, same thing, they had the initial crew, Daphne, Shaggy, Scooby, and Scrappy. Now, they uh, actually have a plane, and they actually end up getting hijacked in Himalayas. And they enter this temple, and Scooby and Shaggy are tricked by two ghosts named Bogle and Weird into opening this box called the Chest of Demons. Now, the Chest of Demons is supposed to be this artifact that houses the most 13 most terrifying and powerful ghosts and demons to ever walk the face of the earth. Now, because of the fact Scooby-Doo, how it works is once you release the ghosts, only the people that originally released them can put them back. Can put them back, and it happened to be Scooby and Shaggy. It kind of has a kind of has an interesting um, <laughs> sense towards uh, the Evil Dead. 
Yes, it does. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. less less tree rape going on. Oh god, I forgot about that. That's right. That did happen in but, Evil Dead. Oh god, if you've never if you've never seen it. <laughs> oh my god, that was so awful. And, and what's ridiculous about? I know we keep I keep dragging us down rabbit trails, but you do it sometimes too. So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. The most ridiculous thing about that movie when you watch it right now, yeah, you can totally see it's a group of people who are broke as hell, yeah. who have a concept, and they said, you know what, the hell with it, I'm going to make one movie, mm-hmm. at least one movie in my life. Mm-hmm. Somebody had a cabin out in the woods in Michigan or wherever the hell it was, mm-hmm. and they're like, fuck it, let's just go for broke. Let's shoot a movie. And and we're not pulling back, we're going to go all the way, and man, did they. Yes, they did. Did you ever see Evil Dead 2? Yeah, I did. It's basically the same shit. They're just like, hey, this is what we can do with a little bit of money. And then you finally get to the good stuff, which is Army of Darkness. And then they ended up with a cliffhanger and all that shit. Yeah, yeah so Sam Ash, man. That's, yeah. Anyway, that's, yeah. that's another another episode. But going back to the 13 Ghosts, they actually added a couple new characters to that show. First off was a Hispanic young fl- uh, con artist named Flim Flam. <laughs> and his whole thing is he would basically be like a little showman and whatever. He would do like impressions and stuff like that. Always act like, he, like, he was always trying to built somebody out of some shit. He's you know awesome. And the last one was his friend, a warlock named Vincent Van Gogh, voiced and made to look like Vincent Price. And he was actually a cast member on the show, Vincent Price, who also again was the voice of was the uh, voice of the rapper in Thriller. I should have taken his ear off and, and just gone for the Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah, but yeah, it's Vincent Van Gogh, and actually he does the the Thriller laugh in the intro of this show. The Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo, and he actually oh, he, yeah that's right yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah, does yeah. the thriller he does the thriller uh, laugh and then he he's the one that goes the governs the rules or whatever only you can turn the demons to the chest and like why us because you let them out and he tries to help them with magic and shit throughout yeah. different episodes now funny enough about that show this is the first show where the monsters and all that shit that they catch were actually real yeah. Sorry, how do you mean in terms of real? like the pre-existing? They, they no, they were actual like they were actual. Oh, you demon. mean like they weren't unmasking? They weren't. They weren't, unma- they weren't unmasking the guy in the mask. There wasn't a guy in the mask. It was actual I demons. I just didn't and know ghosts. if you're going to start telling us that you have a belief in specific ghosts and demons and things. I have a belief in the unknown. Okay, I'll I'll, I will say it like that. I'm yeah. just making sure I understand what I'm hearing. So. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> now, the funny thing about it was, um, they like I said they produced 13 episodes. They only caught 12 ghosts. They left the 13 ghosts unsolved for years and years and years. Now, funny enough, uh, the executive producer of the show was Tom Ruger. Now, since we mentioned Tiny Toons, that was the main guy behind Tiny Toons and Animaniacs. And a lot of that humor from those shows is interpreted into the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. It is actually a pretty funny show. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but uh, like I said, they they let it last for years and years and years. Um, Like I said, with 13 episodes, this is actually the shortest Scooby-Doo show. Well, I mean, technically season one was only eight episodes, but I get your point. Yeah, the shortest Scooby-Doo show. This is the last one to feature Scrappy-Doo. Right before, because this one was set up as a limited a limited mm-hmm. run, where the other ones had mm-hmm. multiple seasons. Yeah, and actually, last year they produced a fucking TV, well, uh, directed DVD movie, Scooby Doo and the Curse of the Thirteenth Ghosts. They actually caught the Thirteenth Ghosts last year. Yes, and they brought back Vincent Van Gogh and everything. It, was hey, it, actually, might, it might take yeah. a while to find that yeah. last ghost. That the world's a big place. Yeah. And then the funny thing about it is, Vincent the Vincent Van Gogh uh, was actually voiced by Bill Hader. 
Oh, really? Because you remember he did the impression of yeah, Vincent yeah, yeah. Price on SNL. Yeah. So they use him as the voice of. Dude, uh, that was, that's killer. I, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. I gotta yeah. watch that. Now they actually make reference to the uh, to Flim Flam and all this other shit in another episode of another show that we're gonna mention a little bit later, Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated. That was on Cartoon Network. Yep. They show uh, Flim Flam as a, an adult. So apparently they're like, what happened to you? Apparently Flim Flam's Flim Flam ended up in a prison sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so we see Flim Flam now as a young adult. <laughs> well, that's um mm-hmm. that's yeah. very adult for children to have yeah. to understand. Oh yeah, if you do that long enough, you'll go to jail. And then actually in, and then another thing, they're in a wax museum in the same episode and there's a there's a statue of Scrappy Doo. <laughs> and then they're like, Oh, they remember him? Like and Fred says to Daphne, look. Remember, we promise never to speak of him again. <laughs> a scrappy dude. <laughs> I That's love it. Almost jumped the shark. Yes, yeah, sir. But this next one, again, Tom Ruger came back. He became executive producer of this one, and this one is actually my first introduction into the world of Scooby Doo. I feel is, like this is everybody's first. I know very, it was mine. This is my first one. Yeah, a pup named Scooby Doo on mm-hmm. ABC from 1988 to 1991. Great cartoon. If you ever get a chance to take a look at it, it is so dope. Now, this cartoon was actually the last cartoon to feature Don Messick as the voice of Scooby Doo. He will pass away, unfortunately, yeah. in 1997. And this is actually the only time, or one of the few times, where they had somebody other than Frank Welker as the voice of Freddy. They had a younger kid as Freddy in this one, but Frank Welker was still on the show as different parts and shit. I think he, I think he's the voice of Fred's dad or uncle or some shit. Okay. Yeah, uh, Casey Kasem is back as Shaggy. Now, uh, this show is actually part of a trend called Babyfication, which we're going to mention in the Tiny Toons one as well. Yeah. Now, Babyfication in the early, in the eighties and nineties was this trend where they would basically take established like uh, classic characters. characters and make kid versions of them. Yeah. The first one was Muppet Babies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the very first one. Muppy Babies, and then they had the Flintstone Kids. Which actually, mm. sorry, just yeah. to kind of yeah. swing back around some we forgot in the news. Mm. Um, Jim Henson's son, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he, he recently passed away as well. I, I believe he was only 45. Oh, wow. It's kind of a kind of a sad thing for, uh, for that family, but it seems like, I mean, knowing the kind of schedule those guys work. Jeez. It's too much. Because if, if I remember correctly, he followed in his dad's footsteps. and Became been, a puppeteer and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I said, the babyfication, like I said, they had Muppet Babies, uh, Flintstone Kids, Yo Yogi, um, what else? Uh, of course, Tiny Toons. Yep. And uh, I'm trying to think of any other. Tom and Jerry Kids. They had a couple of them. Yep. Uh, but yeah, this is one of the more popular ones. And also, this is the first series to reintroduce Fred and Velma as part of the part of the main cast. Right. This one was what? Well, it's also the first one where they actually established the name of the town the, kid, the gang's from. Coolsville. Coolsville, yeah. Yeah, they had a town, Coolsville. And then they, they weren't called Mysteries, Inc. on the show. They were called the Scooby-Doo Detective Agency. Basically, very, they were basically the whole premise is very similar to the Encyclopedia Brown yeah. books where this is kid you know solving uh, mysteries out of his uh, garage for the local town and stuff and they would charge like 25 cents a day plus expenses <laughs> hey with, with Scooby and Shaggy that's going to be some expensive snacks exactly but yeah they would catch the monsters and all the different things like same thing as the original version of uh, Scooby Doo but the thing about it was that made this show different was they would add like text every like fucking takes and stuff they would do like wild takes and like different <laughs> <laughs> very cart- it became it became very very cartoony on yeah. this cartoon, but it was really good, very wacky. Now, like I said, in terms of the interpretation, Shaggy was basically the exact same. They made Daphne this vain rich girl, 
who's always who's always the most she was the skeptic of the group and she always so always very sarcastic. And she also had this butler, Jenkins. Oh and, yeah, that's and, right, Jenkins. And, like every time something would happen, Jenkins, and no matter where they are, Jenkins will come. Yes, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, she, and she would usually ask him to do something real ass now, like, be scared for me. <laughs> he would be scared for that. <laughs> and sometimes Scooby would ask for Jenkins. Yeah. So, yeah, Jenkins would show up too. And then um like she always uh, she's also kind of a germaphobe. Like she would like out like they'd be doing the mystery all of a sudden she would scream like ah and they'd be like, What what's going on? Dust. There's <laughs> dust everywhere in here. <laughs> and then she, they actually gave her a little catchphrase. Uh oh my god, there's no such thing as whatever it is yeah. at the time. There's no such thing as whatever. And um Fred, I love Fred on the show, man. He was so funny. Same thing. He's the, supposed to be the leader of the group, but they made him a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, yeah. And then he actually was his. He's a he's a fanboy of this magazine called the National Exaggerator, <laughs> <laughs> and everything about it is like basically like the uh, the what is that shit? The, the National Enquirer. The National Enquirer was just a bunch of ridiculously out of this world fucking stories. Like he was always talking about like mole people and aliens from outer space. And every time they would f- catch a bad guy or like they're on the way of a bad guy, he would always guess that it was this kid named Red Herring. Yeah. An- another double entendre to that, like freaking like, hey, the Red Herring. The, 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 yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, he, 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 this is actually a bully named Red Herring. And uh, he like, he hated the group and would often bully him. It was only I think it was only one time he was actually the bad guy in this shit. Yeah. But more often than not, they would do something, he would get like humili- humiliated, and his catchphrase was, That's not very funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Red herring. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh Daphne, I mean Velma, excuse me, was pretty much the same thing, but she was much smaller and she was the computer genius of the group, and she would always had like, this little briefcase and it would unload this giant fucking computer. She would just look up clues and shit. And instead of the mystery machine, they didn't have the mystery machine because they were kids, so they had a, a rocket powered skateboard, which they would all ride on. And, and usually Velma was the one that drove it. And she would always have like the helmet and like this crazy expression on her face when she was driving. It was yeah. so funny. <laughs> yeah. And then another thing was uh, they, added, they added some uh, doo to yeah, the yeah, show yeah yeah because yeah, like it was a very do I think because Little Shop of Horrors had just come out oh yeah that's yeah. what they were inspired by so like it was very do that kind of shit and uh, they were always and then they would uh, always add the the music to the chase scene in fact like they would go out of the way to say alright chase time and they would like somebody would break out of, like a boombox and they would start playing the song and yeah. start getting chased and then and they always would, do the multiple door thing and everything yeah, yeah. and then they always do like a dance break like freaking like everybody's doing like a different dance <laughs> and shit and even the monsters would do dances and it was really cool but I love A Pub Named Scooby Doo it, it was on ABC Saturday mornings Used to watch it all the time, man. Great cartoon, especially for the younger kids who want to be introduced to Scooby Doo. You don't want them to watch the scariest stuff, so just let them watch a pub named Scooby Doo. It's a great introductory cartoon. Well, I'm looking. It was it was a great, solid uh, about three years, if I remember right. It was 88 to 91. Yeah. Um, and one of the most notable things that occurred with this, because I, I mean, I'm you know we, we always talk about the different things we geek on about, mm-hmm. but um, I was reading, I've read a couple of different books about some animators, early animation, history of animation, things like that. One of the crazy things that happened from this was a good chunk of the Hanna Barbera team defected with Tom Ruger after the '91 ended, yeah. and went to Warner Bros. Yes, uh, where they ended up coming up with our favorites like Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, Pinky yep. in the Brain, Freakazoid, yep. Yep. Uh, and had a great run of their own yes sir because that's the thing like with animation specifically like people probably don't catch it as much because it's not feature film like yeah. unless it's the Walt Disney Company or Hanna-Barbera where you're putting somebody's stamp on it for a style or a name mm-hmm. they, they kind of lose the fact that okay that person might have been the originator mm-hmm. 
but there's a whole team they bring on, and most of those guys will hang out for a minute, but the really talented and the really driven ones, they'll make a decision at some point mm-hmm. to go out and strike out on their own, and then that's where we get that, that growth that's in the right. medium. That's right. Now, uh, after the 91 thing, Scooby-Doo went through sort of a hiatus in terms of television. Like, there would be no... Well, new, I mean, yeah, there, no, yeah. hiatus might be rough because mm-hmm. during this time, shit ton of reruns. That, They've yeah. never been off the air. That plus they started going into the whole like straight to DVD market, which we're going to get into a little bit later. But in terms of television, the next Scooby-Doo show will not be until 2002 yep. on Kids WB. What's new Scooby-Doo? Mm-hmm. Now, the same thing about this. This is this actually goes back to the original format of Scooby-Doo. Uh, as, as a little more comedy and also because of the fact it's 2002 they started adding more technology that is more prevalent than what was on the original show this is actually the last version of Scooby-Doo to have Sco- uh, Shaggy uh, voiced by Casey Kasem yep last version of that and also this is the so, fir- yeah, oh, yeah. yeah go. this is also the first interpretation where Frank Welker took over the voice of Scooby Mm-hmm. Frank Welker is now the voice of Scooby, and like he's a, he's the voice of Fred, and now he's the voice of Scooby. And this was the first one, and uh, it's so great. But I love the theme song of the show by Simple Plan. Oh yeah, yeah. What's the Scooby do? They come in after you. They're gonna solve that mystery. Very very Blink One Eight Two sounding song. It yeah. was really good too. So I, I was a big fan of this one, man. Uh, they had another show after that. Scooby Doo, Shaggy and Scooby Doo get a clue. This one is like the most different. Of yeah. all the shows, and this is actually the first one. This is actually the last one uh, that was actually produced by Joseph Barbera before his death. Yeah, yeah. And um, this actually, uh, like I said, this did not have Casey Kasem and Shaggy. They actually had uh, Scott Menville, but he yeah. did make an appearance. Yeah, he did make an appearance, but he wasn't Shaggy though. No. But think about it: is Scott Menville? Since we mentioned about it, Scott Menville is another one of those young. Uh, prolific voice actors now like he, if you hear his voice it's like oh my god I've heard a million things I think the more prevalent thing that he's done in the last few years is Teen Titans he's the yeah. voice of Ro- he's the voice of Robin so and then think about it he's one of those people where his voice sounds exactly the same it's like since you first heard it like in the like early 2000s like in late 90s and the thing about it is he's he's like 50 years old he sounds like he's 17 great it's voice talent Great voice, man. Great voice. But this one is different because of the fact that, uh, again, uh, Fred, Daphne, and Velma are kind of downrated, downgraded. They do a cameo and do like guest appearances and shit, but that's but, but they're it. not they're not featured no. players. Yeah, the main people in this one is just basically just Scooby and Shaggy, and uh, apparently uh, Shaggy's uncle is like this rich guy who leaves Shaggy this inheritance. The thing about it is, uh, Shaggy's uncle had a bunch of enemies, including one called uh, the. Uh, doc, yeah, Dr. Phineas Phoebes who's like supposed to be like this technology pirate and shit and so the whole thing about it is Scooby and Shaggy are on this worldwide mission to stop this guy from taking over the world that's basically the whole premise of that show now since you're talking about his mm-hmm. uncle Albert yeah. that's Shaggy's uncle Albert yeah. that's actually where Casey Kasem made his right. uh, his cameo he came in his uncle Albert's voice yeah so that's the last yeah, last thing of, of Casey Kasem on Scooby Doo now this next show on Cartoon Network, this is actually a favorite of mine because I thought it was really, really good. Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated from 2010 to 2013. Now, this one, again, goes back to the original format of Scooby-Doo. Fred, Daphne, and Velma, and everybody is part of the gang. And they also have a new hometown, Crystal Cove, the most hauntedest place on Earth. 
<laughs> and uh, as, yeah. as you would like to make your hometown. Yeah. But the thing about it is, I like this show a lot because of the fact that uh, they have adults on the show that don't like Scooby and the gang interfering with police business. It's like more realistic. Like, why y'all keep coming? Why do you keep doing this? <laughs> and uh, actually, one of them, uh, like uh, one of them, is like the mayor is actually Fred's dad, and then there's like a sheriff or whatever. I think Fred's dad is voiced by Frank Walker, and. And Fred is also the voice of Fred on this show, too. But the thing about this show is different because it had different references to um, the previous interpretations of the, of the franchise. Like I said, they mentioned they brought back Flim Flam and Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, also, they um, they had, like, freaking uh, references to, like, real-life horror movies, like freaking, like, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. They had Saw references. They actually had, they had, they had a Twin Peaks episode. You know what? I was just noticing because I was double-checking my notes here. Yeah. Um, Casey Kasem actually made an appearance in this as well. Did he? Yeah, he was in as uh, Shaggy's dad. Yeah, it was yeah. it was literally his last appearance before he, he passed, as far as Shaggy and Scooby and everything goes. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I, it was it was one of the weird ones I found when I was double checking everything, mm-hmm. doing my my research, make sure I was up on it. Also, two things that they added to this show that they didn't have in the show before: an ongoing story arc. They had an overall story arc of the show, like about the dark elements of it, and also relationships. Mm-hmm. Because they actually put Fred and Fred and Daphne in a relationship. They put Shaggy and Velma in a relationship, and Scooby just being Scooby. But they actually had relationship issues, which is like different from the from the different. Yeah, shows. I mean, there was it, it was always surface prior to this. Mm-hmm. You never had any real depth or character arcs. And this, just like the Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo, the monsters and ghosts on this show were real, and they also brought back since we brought back a. Uh, different elements of the Scooby Doo shit. They brought back different Hannibal Barbera characters. They had they brought back Captain Caveman, Jabberjaw, the Funky Phantom, Blue Falcon, and, and Dino. But mm-hmm. I remember they had one show. Stop, stop <laughs> laughing whenever I say Blue Falcon. Sorry. Yeah, but they. Had, I remember they I'm had. Sorry. Sorry. But they had one episode. Where it was like a mystery catchers club, and all those guys came back for like to solve one mystery together. And they also brought back uh, this group called the Hex Girls, which is actually in the Scooby Doo directed DVD stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Vincent Van Gogh. The, dis- the difference of di- Vincent Van Gogh on this show is they made him like kind of like Peter Vincent in Fright Night. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. He's basically like, like a, a film star that dabbled in that kind of stuff. That's basically what he was in this show. Uh, another another show after this, Be Cool Scooby-Doo, is not really much. It's like a series of shorts, and it's basically just the gang living it up. Also on Boomerang. Yeah, also on Boomerang. They, basically, uh, the gang li- living it up in, in the summer right after they graduate high school, and they run into monsters, etc. There's really not that much to it. Uh, and the last and most current interpretation of Scooby-Doo, one that's actually airing now, yep. Scooby-Doo and Guess Who. Now, this is actually on Boomerang. Primarily on Boomerang. Uh, I mean, it's supposed to be Cartoon Network, but they Cartoon yeah. Network doesn't really show yeah. this kind of stuff. Anymore. But this actually harkens back to the new Scooby Doo movies, where they would have like a celebrity guest star. But the celebrities are people we know now, yeah. like singers like Housley and Sia. They had Bill Nye, the Science Guy, Mark Hamill, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil Ricky, deGrasse Tyson makes more sense to me than Bill Nye. Ricky Gervais. I actually kind of like yeah. that. Jim Gaffigan. Keenan Thompson from SNL, and then uh, they have uh, NBA star Chris Paul yep. does an episode, and they also have fictional characters. They actually, my favorite one, this actually is on here, Steve Urkel. <laughs> yeah, they brought back Jaleel White yeah, and Jaleel Steve White. Urkel yeah. for an episode of Scooby Doo. Yeah, he actually decided to do it again. <laughs> they got Kevin Conroy as Batman. Batman. Yeah, Wonder Woman, The Flash, and Sherlock Holmes. Yep. Now, now in terms of the movies and so since we get into the movies now, the first kind of movie that they had was a special they did in 1979 called 
Scooby-Doo Goes Hollywood. Now, the premise of this was Scooby, more 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 accurately Shaggy, was tired of how they were treated. This it was basically breaking the fourth wall. Right. Shaggy was tired of how they were being treated on the show. He thought they should be bigger stars than they were. Scooby was happy as is, but, you know, that... Well, he's a dog. He's always happy. He's a, but because but, he's a dog and Shaggy's his master, he kind of goes along yeah, with Yeah, he follows shit. him anyway. Yeah, so, like, he's kind of, like, pitching like, to the network, hey, that Scooby Doo here, Scooby Doo can do more than this. He can be on prime time. He's ready for prime time. He's not a Saturday morning cartoon. He's ready for prime time. So they actually do different parodies. Who's Lassie? I've never heard of Lassie. They do different parodies of different movies of the time with Scooby Doo in it. Like they deal with like how the West was won, how Scooby won the West, Happy Days, Scooby Days, and, and he was the Scoob. <laughs> uh, Laverne and Shirley, they had Levon and Scooby, Superman, uh, Super Scooby. The Sound of Music, The Sound of Scooby. Uh, Sonny and Cher, Scooby and Sherry. <laughs> the Love Boat, The Love Ship. And Charlie's Angels, Scooby's Angels. Mm-hmm. But eventually, uh, as the special goes along, it's actually a musical special too. Eventually, Fred, Daphne, and Velma convince Scooby, along with all of the Scooby fans, please come back, Scooby Doo. We love you as is. And like, right. he's like, you know what? I'm coming back. And then, like, uh, he goes back, and then Shaggy keeps still. Still trying to pitch himself, but like everybody's like, that. No, no. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants Shaggy without Scooby. Exactly. Uh, now, like since, like I said, between the time frame between uh, a pup named Scooby Doo and all this other thing, they did a bunch of uh, directed TV, either directed TV or directed DVD movies for Scooby Doo. Well, I mean, time wise, some of it was actually directed VHS, but yeah. I get your point. Yeah. So in '87 and '88, they actually did a bunch of like uh, TV movies for Hanna Barbera called the Hanna Barbera Superstars Ten series. Uh, they, had of, they had a bunch. They had a bunch of actually laserdisc. They they did have some laserdisc. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, they actually had a bunch of different uh, movies for Scooby Doo. Three of them that were actually produced were Scooby Doo and the Blue Brothers. The Blue Brothers are basically like you know those like those brother ghosts and Casper. Yeah. Imagine that group, but they were like basically. but they were inept ghost catchers. Yeah, exactly. So, and then the next one was Scooby Doo in the Ghoul School, which had Shaggy become the gym teacher for this school of monster girls. So basically, like, imagine the Universal Monsters. But it, they got, had, it got weird for a minute. Yeah, they had uh, basically had a bunch of teenage girls who were basically teenage versions of the Universal Monsters. There was a vampire girl, there was a werewolf girl, there was a Frankenstein girl, a mummy girl, that kind of thing. My, but, <coughs> excuse me. My favorite of the group, and the last one they produced of that series, Sco- uh, Scooby Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. I well, really like you're just all about werewolves. I love werewolves, so yeah, I'm, I'm all about werewolves. But yeah, like this one actually had Shaggy as a werewolf. From now on, if I pitch you something you don't like, it, I'm going to say, "But so and so is a werewolf." I think I think that can get you on anything. You know, the sad part about it is you're right. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, I was just a werewolf. I'm good. <laughs> but this one actually has Scooby. They, they changed up the format a little bit. Uh, it's they the had, English patient, but he's a werewolf. God damn it. <laughs> it's actually not bad. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but, like, okay, so let me finish this <laughs> So Shaggy, they had Shaggy as a race car driver. And Scooby and Scrappy were his mechanics. This is yeah. when they had Scrappy. And he actually had a girlfriend uh, they only used for this one thing, and they never used again. I actually and, liked this one. Yeah, with Googie. 
yeah. that there's a girlfriend, Googie. She loves Shaggy, but Shaggy didn't give a fuck about her. Um, and it was sort of a taming of the shrew, but the shrew never gets tamed. Exactly. So the whole get down is Count Dracula in Transylvania does like this annual race with the monsters to crown monster of the year, and it's a drag race. And their werewolf that they usually have decided to retire, so they needed a new werewolf. They hear about Shaggy as being this great race car driver. It's like, you know what? He's going to be our new werewolf. So they make Shaggy into a werewolf. And that's pretty much the whole premise of that movie. But I love the music in it because it's so, like, 80s synthesizer. I really it's love it. It's ridiculous, movie. but yes. fantastic at the same time. Okay. Now, since we talked about uh, the reruns earlier, since you said, like, during the time frame between A Pup Named Scooby-Doo and What's New Scooby-Doo, um, the popularity of Scooby-Doo was huge because of Cartoon Network. That's how I kind of got on Scooby-Doo. Well, yeah. I mean, as far as the original goes, for sure. Yeah. yeah so they brought, that, they brought back the original cartoons on Cartoon Network. That was, was kind yeah. of the best thing about mm-hmm. the cable explosion in the 90s was that you had a lot of shows that um, had since kind of I mean the, the conventional wisdom would have said that they'd outlived their their usefulness or outlived their relevance mm-hmm. but you had tons of people who had airtime now yeah. with these new cable providers and they're going well shit I got a, I got 24 hours a day I need to fill mm-hmm. and so they were just optioning it's, it's not that dissimilar to what you got going on right now in the streaming wars with Netflix and mm-hmm. Disney Plus and everybody else if you've got a library mm-hmm. That's that's what your your strength is, and so being able to put that out there because then you get everybody. Yeah. Now, uh, one uh, Hanna Barbera at this time was actually initially a subsidiary of Turner uh, Entertainment, but Turner became a subsidiary of Warner Brothers yep. during the whole Time Warner merger. Look that shit up. That's a disaster. Um. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I think it got more disastrous once AOL came into the mix. <laughs> actually, funny enough, the Time Warner AOL thing is actually why WCW is no longer in business, but that'll be another episode. Well, for and, another day. and just as like a brief little business uh, interlude, mm-hmm. the crazy thing is follow Ted Turner and his rise through the 80s into the 90s because. Holy shit, with Turner Classic Movies, his mm-hmm. owning and getting rid of MGM and yeah. basically stripping out the library and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, and again, you can get into like, you get the milk in. There's so much on the business side that if you want to geek out on, you can spend literally weeks just going, holy, this happened? Yeah. This happened? Like, yes. it's insane. Now, at the beginning of that, in around 98, they decided, in, uh, basically in Warner Brothers and other shit, to start producing some new Scooby Doo director video movies. And they basically would do one a year, one or two a year, starting from 1998 to now. Yep. Now, the first four, they were released within like a year or two of each other. Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, Mm -hmm. Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost, Scooby-Doo and the Alien Invaders, and Scooby-Doo and Cyber Chase. Now, these first ones were different because of the fact they actually had a darker tone than the original cartoon, and they actually had actual supernatural forces. Uh, They also, like I said, since we mentioned earlier, the Witch's Ghost movie actually introduced a group called the Hex Girls, and they kind of became new recurring characters in the Scooby-Doo franchise. Um, Scooby-Doo and the Cyber Chase is actually the last one made by Hanna-Barbera before it got absorbed into Warner Brothers. And actually, it followed uh, Hannah, uh, William Hanna's death in 2001. And like I said, they still make one one Scooby-Doo movie a year, even now. You know what I'm saying? It's animated. Animated, yes. We'll get into the live action here in a second. Actually, literally a second. Now this one, actually, what I'm about to go into now. <laughs> Scooby Doo the movie in 2002. 
So it was actually supposed to be the first installment of a live-action Scooby-Doo series. It was directed by Rajay uh, Gosnell. And actually, funny enough, it was written by James Gunn. Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. I love James Gunn, too. I know. And the cast for the movie... Oh, yeah, I know. The cast for the movie, Freddie Prince Jr. as Fred. <laughs> Sarah Michelle Geller as we Daphne. We can't lose! I know. Sarah Michelle Geller as Daphne. Uh, Matthew Lillard as Shaggy, who was actually the best one of the bunch. And actually, I think I hate him the most. But he's the best one of the bunch. And I still hate him the most. I know. And Linda Cardinale as Velma. And they also had... Uh, what was it? There was there was another... Because basically what they did was they just ripped off every teen movie mm-hmm. from the late 90s into the early 2000s. And I'm trying to remember, was it... Was, was he in Dude, Where's My Car? No, that's not him. Well, there, was, there, was another, there was another movie like that where he played... He was on screen. Was it was no, but it wasn't Scream. There's was another movie that he was in that he drove me nuts in, and from that point on, I always had a hard time watching him. But he played basically like like a stoner kind of a character. Uh, yeah, I'll have to look it up. Yeah. And I'll bring it up one one of these times when yeah. it makes sense. But God, yeah. So the get down of the actual movie itself was actually filming took place in uh, Queensland, Australia, at a budget of eighty four million dollars. I know it's that much. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was actually released on June 14, two thousand two, and grossed seven hundred two hundred seventy five million dollars worldwide. So it was successful. And then the thing about it was they had Shaggy, the reggae guy. Shaggy and different groups do different versions of the Scooby Doo thing. Yeah, but the the problem the problem is mm-hmm. even at two hundred and sixty, right? Mm-hmm. It was. It says it's eighty-four million. Mm-hmm. The math that you got to use when you figure it out. So, if they spent eighty-four million to make it, they spent another eighty-four million to market it, mm-hmm. which means they spent one hundred and sixty-eight. Yeah. On this movie. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Anybody would be happy to show any kind of a profit on something like that. Mm-hmm. But especially at this point in time, mm-hmm. I mean, we're right around. I think we're what a year, two years past, and I have to double-check the, the numbers on it, Titanic, right? The first billion-dollar blockbuster. Right. It's kind of an also-ran. True. Okay, I can see that. You know what I mean? Now, the premise I mean, it was good of, enough yeah. to get a sequel, but that yeah. ain't the same much. The premise of the movie had the guys, the Mystery Incorporated, basically they were caught solving one case, the case of the Luna Ghost. However... Long-time friction between the members started to basically collide at this one case. Fred was basically a glory hog. Daphne was just tired of being kidnapped and shit all the time. She started taking on martial arts. <laughs> Velma was tired of never being credited for her ideas because, the fact, she is the genius of the group. Yeah, she's the one who actually really yeah. knew what was up. And thing about it is Shaggy and Scooby were cool with the group as is. Yeah, and, they, they, were, they were basically yeah. constantly looking for snacks because they'd yeah. been in the back of the mystery machine. Yeah. Hot boxing. Yeah, so basically what happens is they the band breaks up. Uh, Scooby and Shaggy have the van, so they pretty much just theirs now. Now after a two year disbandment, the band the group reunites to solve a mystery at this uh uh resort called Spooky Island, uh owned by Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but now originally the movie was supposed to have a darker tone and actually it was supposed to be very similar to the Brady Bunch movie, which is a really good movie. Yeah. yeah, I love the Raider Bunch movie. They did a good, they did yeah. a good job. And it's supposed to have a PG-13 rating. Now, Shaggy was supposed to be a stoner, and there was supposed to be a lot of marijuana references. But apparently, according to Sarah Michelle Geller, right after this uh, cast signed on, they did a lot of changes, and it became more family-friendly. Uh, a few of the well, adult, yeah, I mean, it's got it. Yeah, a few of the adult jokes stayed in, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, they, they, what they were going for was a lot better than what they got. Now, you know what? To be fair, because I, I do actually like... His calling card for Matthew Lillard, mm-hmm. SLC Punk. Yeah, great film. 
I have to be fair. That was that was a that was a killer film for indie. Oh, yeah. if you're an indie, if you're oh, an indie yeah. movie buff, yeah. if you like independent film, yeah, he actually did a solid job in that. And as somebody who's lived in in uh, Salt Lake City for a good chunk of time, yeah. um, some stuff got a little bit out there. Some <laughs> of it was pretty legit as far as what that's like. Mm-hmm. Um, it was you know. He's got some stuff. I don't know what it was. I, like I said, I'll remember what the movie was that drove me nuts with him. Mm-hmm. There was a movie that he did sometime in the 90s that, for me, I just went, oh, God. Good. Now, right after this, they did another movie uh, two yeah. years later. Because, in fact, like I said, it, it was a financial success. So they made So they made Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed in 2004. Basically had the same director, same writer, same cast, uh, but they added some new guest stars. So they had uh, Seth Green. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson, Peter Boyle, and Alicia Silverstone. Now, like, like I said, this movie got mainly negative reviews and did not uh, meet the studio's project- projections in terms of box office. So uh, after the poor reception of this movie, there was plans for a third movie, but that got canceled. Thank God. Yeah. But now, in the 2020, there's a new movie coming in, and it's going to be computer, gen- computer animated. Scoob. Mm-hmm. It might be all right. Actually, I've seen the trailer for it. It looks pretty good. See, I'm, you're going to be the only one who does because I, I made a decision a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I don't watch. I don't watch trailers. Mm-hmm. I, I usually, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I'm on the fence about seeing a film, mm-hmm. I'll wait and get reviews from someone like you, someone that I trust. I yes. know their taste. I know their style. If, yeah. if they actually have an acumen towards it. Oh yeah, I was going to say this too. I actually saw Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, and uh, Sunday Hitchhiker. They're both trash. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. Yeah, so. and I'm bummed about it too because mm-hmm. I would love for either one of those or both of them to have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, Harley Quinn's kind of a weird one for me because like, like we've had this conversation a hundred times before. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge, huge Batman fan because of Joker. All right. And I love especially the Dark Knight envisionment of, yeah. of those characters. Mm-hmm. I do remember Harley Quinn in a positive light from all of the the cartoons, from the yeah. cartoon version where she was created. Yeah. But man, I just yeah, it was, it was a bad. Movie. I, from everything I was seeing from it, I didn't yeah. I didn't think they were gonna get there. It was a bad movie, and the best part of the Sonic movie was Jim Carrey. Yeah. Because that was basically that, See, yeah. what what I figured was probably happening with Birds of Prey, and let's all just be honest for a second. It's the uh, the, the sexualization. Of Harley Quinn mm-hmm. and Margot Robbie being a, a really great facsimile of how that character was drawn and originally imagined, mm-hmm. people would just say, "Oh, okay, we're gonna go see that." But you forgot, you forgot the story because if you don't yeah. have a story, like if you've got a story, yeah, you're gonna end up with some people will watch over and over over again. I mean, that's what you and I talk about a hundred times. There's a lot of great references in it, but yeah, it's kind of piecemeal together. It doesn't really it's come, just too bad. It doesn't really come across well. Unfortunately. I mean, that was honestly that was. Mm-hmm. As much as I hated the Jared Leto mm-hmm. version of Joker, yeah. that was what really kills um, Suicide Squad. Yeah. The story's trash. Yeah. Now, uh, after the Scooby-Doo 2 fiasco, uh, Cartoon Network actually released a couple of uh, Scooby-Doo live TV movies. Uh, Scooby-Doo The Mystery Begins in 2009, the 40-year anniversary of the show's debut. Um, and it, had, it basically had the kids, it basically had them as kids when they first meet in high school, before this modern generation. Uh, they had another movie, uh, Scooby-Doo Curse of the Late Monster, with the mm-hmm. same cast. And then they actually did a direct-to-DVD spinoff uh, Daphne and Velma, which did not have Scooby Doo or Fred or any of them at all, which I don't know why they did that one. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, does. I don't know, I don't know why they. <laughs> now the whole premise of these movies—they're supposed to be prequels to these movies, like in two thousand two. So yeah, it's weird. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, uh, now, since we're talking about Scoob, the computer animated movie that's going to be coming up, um, produced by Warner Animation Group, uh, the cast of it looks pretty good. Now, Frank Welker is back at Scooby, so I'm happy about that. But, in, ter- but in terms of like Fred, Daphne, Alamo, uh, Zach Efron is the voice of Fred. Uh, let's see, uh, Amanda Seyfried, uh, Seyfried, I believe her name is, um, she's Daphne. Uh, Will Forte is Shaggy. Yeah. Uh, Gina uh, Gonzalez, from, uh, so Gina Rodriguez from Jane the Virgin, she's um, Velma. And uh, actually, they're bringing back a lot of the Hanna-Barbera characters with, uh, with uh, <laughs> voice by stars. Uh, first one I see here is Blue Falcon and Dog Wonder. <laughs> Blue Falcon is going to be voiced by Mark Wahlberg. And yeah. Dog Wonder is going to be voiced by Ken Jong. Actually, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. I love <laughs> Ken Jong. And have you seen his stand-up? Yes, I have. Oh, man. Like and, then, and the two favorites, uh, two of the favorites that I'm seeing here, Tracy Morgan is going to be the voice of Captain Caveman. Seriously? Seriously. Dude, okay. okay. And uh, <laughs> Jason Isaac is going to be the movie's villain, Dick Dastardly. Okay. And bring it back, Dick Dastardly. Okay. I'm happy about that because yeah. I, I love Dick Dastardly. Like, drat. <laughs> Double drat. <laughs> Curses. <laughs> Foiled again. <laughs> Now, in terms of like uh, its legacy, uh, Scoot over its five-decade um, broadcast history, Scooby-Doo was only nominated for the Emmy twice, it, uh, and mainly uh, one of them was for a pub named Scooby-Doo, uh, and another one was for uh, Mindy Kahn. Apparently, she took over as Velma for one point for What's New Scooby-Doo. But see, this right here goes back mm-hmm. to what we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. If you can get an award, if you can get a statue, that's nice, but what it's really about, mm-hmm. those eyeballs. If you yes. can get the viewership... Mm-hmm. You get to keep going and keep going and keep going. And mm-hmm. whether they ever get another statue or not, mm-hmm. who cares? Yeah. Now, yeah, like that, I said, that's yeah, the win. Yeah. yeah, like I said, Scooby Doo has maintained a very significant fan base since the you know nineties, fifty years. Yeah, mainly because of the fact the the show is popular with young kids and nostalgic adults who grew up on the original which, series, which is the best thing they've got going for them, right? Because they mm-hmm. have this thing going for so long. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, everything runs in cycles, right? Yes. So the fact that they were able to make that first transition, because mm-hmm. I remember, I remember when I was a kid, like I talked about before, kind of yeah. joking around about some of the cartoons mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to watch. Yeah. Even with some of the new iterations, mm-hmm. my folks were always kind of cool to hang out and watch a little Scooby Doo with me because yeah. even though both of my parents didn't watch a ton of cartoons growing up and everything, mm-hmm. the handful that they had seen, yeah. they've seen Scooby Doo. Everybody's yeah. seen Scooby Doo, yeah. and it's and yeah. there's nothing there's nothing about it that I mean aside from you know the jokes about them constantly having the munchies because they're smoking weed or whatever. Yeah. Aside from that little bit, there's nothing yeah. controversial. I'm actually about to go into that now. Older adults and uh, teenagers. I mean, they enjoy Scooby Doo because of the fact that perceived theories about the gang, like mainly uh, Shaggy being a pothead, Velma possibly being a lesbian, and then the whole thing about Fred and, and Fred and Daphne going off, you know, what are they doing, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of shit. They're and looking for a spot to make out. Basically, yeah. <laughs> and uh, also in the 2000s, Scooby Doo started uh, gaining a lot of like recognition on polls. In 2002, on a, in a 2002 issue of TV Guide, uh, on the list of the 50 greatest cartoon characters of all time, Scooby came in 22nd. Uh, he was ranked 13th. Seems kind of loaded. Me too. Uh, he was ranked 13th on Animal Planet's list of the 50 greatest animal TV animals. Still seems low. Yeah. Uh, for one year, from 2004 to 2005, Scooby Doo held the Guinness Book World Record for most episodes of any animated television show ever produced. The pre the uh, record was previously held and taken back by 
The Simpsons. Yeah. So. But I mean, they're, they're in a they're in a different production matrix. Mm-hmm. And also in 2009, IGN named uh, Scooby Doo 24 on its top 100 best animated TV shows. Uh, again, TV Guide uh, redid the uh, list of 50 greatest characters uh, of all time, and Scooby Doo came in fifth. Okay, that sounds that sounds accurate. Now, in terms of how Scooby Doo has permeated pop culture, you know, like God knows how many movies and TV shows have done some sort of parody of Scooby Doo. They all do it. Yes, right. I mean, if you're if you're around for for more than a couple of seasons, mm-hmm. you have to because it's 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 almost like a rite of passage. Yeah. I mean, we've even joked uh, when we were talking right before we started about uh, Family Guy. Mm-hmm. This is this a swamp thing. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like when they did that. Uh, it's like a. Uh, it was fam- it was a uh, Scooby Doo, but it did like CSI. Yeah, I remember that. You remember that? It, was, it actually was Fred Welker as the voice of Fred too. Yeah. Like, hey guys, we found his body. Like and then uh, Sco- they look at the body and Scooby's all scared. Like that's right, Scoob. We're dealing with one sick son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that shit was funny. Yeah, but then they need to crash into it with the uh, the the Who. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 that shit. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, since we talked about Sarah Michelle Geller. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show. Yep. The, gr- the group of uh, hunters on that show refer to themselves as the Scooby Gang. Yep. And they always, because of the fact they always dealing with mysteries and always fighting supernatural monsters and shit. And like I said, uh, Sarah was Daphne in the, in the ill-fated movies. Now, um, the Scooby Gang itself actually appeared on Batman the Brave and the Bold cartoon, which is a really good cartoon if you ever get a chance to check it out. Um, they had an episode called Batman's Strangest Cases, and they basically did a whole get down of the Scooby-Doo movies episode where, like, you know, he meets the Scooby and the gang. And then they actually, they're actually rescuing Will Al Yankovic from the Joker and the Penguin. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was really cool. Uh, Wayne's World, the movie, like, at one point they do the alternate ending things or whatever <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> and they decided to do the Scooby-Doo ending yeah. where they're in their basement and then Rob Lowe is unmasked like let's see who you really are why it's old man Witherspoon the owner of the old music <laughs> park and the same thing and I would've got away with it too if it weren't for you snooping kids and then actually Garth does a Scooby-Doo impression right <laughs> good good anyway like he does that shit <laughs> the Scooby-Doo ending and uh, Jay and Silent Bob strike back this is a good one they have a scene where Jay and Silent Bob actually picked up by a gang in a van that closely resembles Scooby-Doo. Yeah. And then at one point, they're all smoking pot, and then they see the girls are in their bras, and the dog starts talking. And then, like, uh, <laughs> at one point, they, yeah, they get past, they get passed out, and then uh, Jay has a dream that uh, the Shaggy character's like, let's, let's harvest the organs. And they say, you know, Jay wakes up in a, in a bathtub full of ice with his liver missing. <laughs> Oh yeah, I love this one. Uh, in '99, Cartoon Network did a bunch of like different like uh, vignettes for like the commercials. Uh, it was basically a spoof of the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, they call it the Scooby Doo Project. It's basically the is live action plus animation, and they basically sco- superimposed the Scooby Doo characters. It's basically like found footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and with them in the woods and shit and doing like different parodies of like what the show's about. It's really funny. Really funny stuff. Uh, Futurama, of course, did an episode called uh, Saturday Morning uh, Pit where basically those Futurama characters were the Scooby gang. They had Bender as Scooby, Hermes was Fred, 
Leela was Daphne, Amy was Velma, and of course Fry himself was Shaggy. Yeah, well, I mean, that just makes too much sense. Yeah. Oh, this is a really good one, too. In an episode of The Venture Brothers, which is a great a favorite show of mine, uh, they did an episode called Viva Los Mortes, <laughs> where uh, basically they have the Scooby gang coming to the Venture compound, but they're all adults now. Yeah. And the thing about it is, they're all based off of different serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they they change the names too. Like uh, Ted is a uh, uh, Ted is Fred. Freddie yeah. and Ted Bundy yeah. mixed together. Uh, Patty is Daphne and Patty Hurst. <laughs> uh, Val is Velma and uh, Valerie Solanas, who apparently tried to kill uh, Andy Warhol in '68. Yep. Uh, Shaggy is uh, basically. <laughs> I love this one. Shaggy is a mix of Shaggy and the son of Sam. <laughs> He's David Berkowitz. Yeah, he's David Berkowitz. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and his possessed dog, the one that told him to kill his neighbor, is <laughs> <just> Scooby. Scooby. <laughs> <laughs> it was so great. Yeah. I, love, I love this the Shaggy character. like, at one point, and this dog fucking talks, man. Because <laughs> nobody believed him. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, the South Park episode. Oh, yeah. A corn's uh, groovy pirate ghost mystery with corn. That was a good yeah, one. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, that was a really good one. They had they had the South Park characters and then corn animated like Scooby Doo. Yeah, and they were solving this mystery in South Park or whatever, where they were trying to tackle an invasion of pirate ghosts. <laughs> I remember that because remember like Kenny kept dressing up like Kenny, Kenny was dressed up like Ed Two Hundred Nine. Yeah, so we did RoboCop the other time. <laughs> that was great, man. And of course, Harvey Birdman had a really good episode where actually he defends Scooby and Shaggy uh, against possession charges. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually found footage of Scooby and Shaggy smoking in the fucking in a van. Like, hey, Scooby! You see the smoke? It was great. <laughs> oh yeah, and this is this is one of the more recent ones. Last year, like well, two years ago, uh, the show Supernatural on the CW. Yeah, they did a crossover with Scooby Doo called Scooby Natural, where those characters were like they they, they uh, like two brothers who tackle supernatural monsters and shit like that. They end up like getting involved in like some kind of curse or some curse book, and they end up in Scooby-Doo. But the thing about it is, in Scooby-Doo, all the killings and stuff is real. Yeah. So it's all the Scooby people, all the Scooby gang, and then on one of the characters keeps trying to get at uh, Daphne. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Hey, you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can't try to get at her hard, man. It was really funny. But like I said, for those of you who uh, are fans of uh, old school cartoons like us, Scooby-Doo is definitely one of the best, man. It's one of the... Like, I don't know... Without I can't, a doubt. I can't watch it without a smile on my face. No, it's it's, it's impossible. Yeah. I know, the, like I said, I know the formula. I know it's tired, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, at the same time, like, I'd rather... There's something... I, like, if, if anything else was on TV, I'd rather watch Scooby-Doo. Well, and, I mean, look, the other thing, too, that's kind of been great and a big part of why it, it's stood the test of time was they actually were... They were great with merchandising, but without going over the top. Like, one of the things that was bothering me when they came out with Episode 7 for Star Wars, right? Right. Like, you couldn't go anywhere without getting something that had Star Wars slapped on stuff. And I remember we bought, like, some of those little, like, uh, mini oranges, the cuties. Yeah. The box that I got it at, at Stater Bros, had freaking Star Wars labeling and stuff on it. So I was eating Star Wars <laughs> freaking cuties. For a day, but Star Wars oranges. Yeah, exactly. It was just it was over the top ridiculous. <laughs> but like if you if you look at them all the way from the beginning, mm-hmm. you know they they actually worked with Milton Bradley. Did some lunch boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did some coloring books, some story books. Did like underwear, little little basic 
you know, things like that for kids. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, uh, working with Mel and Bradley, uh, they came up with the Scooby Doo board game, right. uh, which. I mean, it's not quite like Clue, but it's in the same vein. Right. And then um, they actually had Scooby-Doo multivitamins uh, through Bayer in 2001, which is kind of, I mean, it makes sense because Flintstones chewables, going back forever, another Hanna-Barbera staple, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the 80s, let's see here, was it they also had, uh, where'd it go? I want to make sure I get this. Oh, that's, it was the 80s when they finally started doing uh, the Scooby-Doo breakfast cereal. Oh, yeah. Some little plush toys. You know, mm-hmm. I think everybody's probably at least Every, seen them, if not had Everybody them. had a cereal in the 80s. Gremlins had a cereal. Mr. Yeah. T had a cereal. Exactly. Pee Wee Herman had a cereal. Everybody. Do you remember Scooby Snack dog treats? Oh, yeah. I remember getting those for the first time. I had this little teacup Yorkie and everything. Uh, uh, Urkel O's. Yeah, Urkelos. Those actual cereal Urkelos. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. Anybody in this business finds something, and then everybody tries to duplicate it. Okay. And and always with mixed results. Um, see, yeah, I mean, they've they've been doing mostly the children's book thing, and then actually, I mean, you probably know more about this than I would, but the comic books. Yeah. So they did they did comics. Pretty much starting '69, like right when they came out. Yeah, but like I said, the most recent one was actually with DC Comics. They had one called yeah. Scooby Apocalypse, was basically like uh, kind of real world ish with Scooby and the gang. But it was really good. It was like I think it's like Scooby and the gang during the zombie apocalypse or something along those lines. It was really good. So like you get a chance to check that out. But Hanna Bar- Hanna Barbera did a great collection with um, DC. The best one of those to me is Future Quest, where they had all the different superhero characters so it's Johnny Quest Space Ghost um, Birdman Herculoids Mitor all those characters in this great story arc so I'll definitely check those out I was just uh, double checking my notes so they actually did do a uh, a Scooby-Doo version of Clue oh yeah in 2007 nice so I mean it makes sense it's it's a solid Mm time-tested killer killer formula Mm -hmm. That, I mean, 50 years, man. There's very few shows, properties, if anything, mm-hmm. that have been this steady for 50 years. I can't. Like, so we've we, we basically gone through this episode, and I really cannot think of a better way to end it than this. Scooby-Doo-Doo! <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> This has been dropping that culture <laughs> with JD and AJ. I'm JD and I'm AJ. We'll catch you next time. Dropping that culture. 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 Dropping that coach.